beautiful like when we get into the news of the episode like graphics hardware is actually coming back into stock so it's just like <laughs> oh, there is an end in sight to all this horse shit so uh yeah all right are you ready to get going yep. was that enough horseshit preamble i think that is perfectly appropriate fucking nerdy preamble all right, good. Uh, welcome back, everybody, to Dance Robot Dance. This is episode 257. I am Mark. I'm here with Tim. Say hello, buddy. Hey, Tim is in Toronto. I am in St. Catharines. Guess which one of us is happier about their situation? <laughs> I don't know. I'm the one in a Delta hotspot now, although it did mean that I got my second vaccination last week. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm still waiting to hear about getting bumped forward. Hopefully, we'll see. Uh, 28th, everybody that got an mRNA vaccine, I think, is uh, eligible for their second to book their second dose as of the 28th. So like three days from now as we're recording this. Cool. So like Monday, I can Monday. do that. Yeah. All right. Cool. I mean, that's fine. I'm cool with it. <laughs> my, my appointment was for like September. So I, I was like, I assumed it would get moved up eventually. But yeah. I wasn't paying super close attention. I was just like, when you when they say to go for number two, I will go for number two. And the province released uh, actual like guidelines for what uh, fully vaccinated people can do now, so that like it's like yeah, you can have like small gatherings indoors without masks and social distancing if you're fully vaccinated and shit. And so, two weeks after you're vaccinated, you can come for a visit. Uh, yep, sounds good. <laughs> sounds good. And hit your head in our basement. <sighs> <laughs> I can't even begin to tell you, like, moving back into this house, how many times I fucking hit my head. <laughs> like, the basement is... <sighs> I hate it. I miss my house. <laughs> it's, like, tall. Remember how tall those ceilings were? Like, everywhere? Even yeah, in the basement. The, the ba- yeah, that was the thing. The basement in particular was just, like, unusually tall. <laughs> I was. That's why I fucking... We got that house. Like, I rented that house <laughs> because it, like, it had legit seven feet tall basements like seven and a bit and changed in certain spots yeah um, and i was like i am in fucking heaven in this room <laughs> i'm in a basement and i'm like not cracking my fucking head and stuff there's a couple spots where i would bomb yeah. myself but uh no not like here or like just anywhere i go in st Catharines, like everything's tiny i hit my fucking head on everything yeah Sec- our first and second floors are pretty good we have a couple of light fixtures on the first floor that we need to Chate up. Yeah, they well, yeah, they just they definitely need to come up a little bit because people like anybody that's much taller than Alicia or I, which are both like five seven, will fucking hit their heads on them. Ah, well, yeah, I uh, I walked into my grandparents' place the other day and they had the the chandelier low kind of thing in the mm-hmm. dining room, and I don't know why I don't look, but like <laughs> he usually has it chained up because he's very tall too. My grandfather's like six foot two. Yeah, he, he usually chains it up pretty high, but if it wasn't and like they just moved the table out of the way, I'll just walk right into it, like. It, <laughs> side of the head i'm like oh (laughs) son of a bitch you know like everything it's everything like the floor joists in the basement you know what i mean like when you're kind of like underneath going underneath the stairs or something like that it's yeah yeah it's fine for normal people for me it's just like an immediate fucking head injury hazard (laughs) i'm just like oh jesus anyway so let's get into the news Uh, it's one of those we'll start with one that kind of makes me wish i had more head injuries so that i could forget everything and everything always (laughs) so i guess the last part of Warren Ellis's, like one of Warren Ellis's comic book series, I think it's, is it Fell that they were talking about? Uh, yeah, yes. Fell. Yeah. Was like they were advertising that it was going to be finishing up at Image, and everybody from his, what is that website? That so, I to, so many of us.com. So many of us.com. There it is. Like there was a lot of kerfuffle on the internet about this this week. Yeah. In regards to him still being on an Image book. Uh, Image has since come out and been like, 
hey, guess what, guys? This is like contractually obligated and we're just kind of finishing it up. He's not doing anything with us anymore until like, and I will read you the actual tweet. Yeah, well, it was like they, they announced it and then apparently they they announced it without the creators, without without yeah. Ellison. I can't remember who the artist is. on. Ben Temple Smith is the artist. I feel bad for him more than anybody else. Yeah, well, that, and then they said like, uh, or Ellis said like, I didn't know that Image was going to announce that. You know, we we didn't mean want to do that until something else had happened, kind of thing. I guess like yeah. until he had made more amends, which he's had a fucking year at this point. Yeah, like, it's been a long time. So like, get your shit yeah. together. Warner. So <laughs> yeah, anyway. this thing started, you know, started coming out like fucking last summer, and so now he's trying to say like, well, now I want to have an open dialogue with the people in you know, the community at this website and everything and it's just a fucking absolute clusterfuck yeah yeah so i mean image that the last thing i saw was image like issuing a statement so i mean you seem that's more up to date than where i'm at i didn't see he said anything yet yeah um, he sent in a response to he basically used the fucking like contact us form on their website and sent them a submission and then they posted it and said we've heard from Warren, here's what he said, kind of thing. They just screenshotted it and yeah. put it up and said, like, we'll, you know, be working on something. It was like working on a plan for transformative justice or something along that. Oh, yeah. Possibility of a mediated transformative justice action was what they said that they were going to be seeking with them. So we will see. And then I think Image came back and said, yeah, we're not going to put this book out until this is all settled. Is that where we're at now? Because this is there's yeah. I mean, this has changed since I read this. I started reading this article this afternoon, and it's completely it's, different now. Yeah, it's 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 a developing story. Let's say. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So it's been updated. See, I probably read it at like three three before three o'clock, or no, like at before three fifty, and it's been changed twice since then. Yeah. So there you go. That's why I'm confused. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's yeah. It like I said, there's a lot of shit going on, so it will. If there's any other major developments, we'll definitely... Yeah, we'll talk about it next week. Yeah. <laughs> In less depressing news... I mean, well, actually, you know what? Let's continue with the depressing news real quickly. It was announced this week that there'll be a Transformer 7. So <laughs> I just figured I'd like, get that out of the way early. <laughs> and and it's Beast Wars, your, one of your beloved uh, Transformers properties, too. It's a 90s set beast wars series yeah rise of the beasts is the subtitle that they've gone with are you ready for for shrapnel gorilla optimus prime oh and and shitty fucking shrapnel uh dinobots i am i actually didn't look to see if it was like a michael bay joint or if they got the guys who are working on bumblebee to do it because like i would be okay with those guys they're pretty good at doing this stuff either way transformers the film was set in 1994 which i guess is between Bumblebee and Michael, the Michael Bay original one. Oh, oh, yeah, I guess so. I didn't watch Bumblebee. It's, I actually do kind of want to watch Bumblebee, but you should. It's actually pretty good. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, I remember you talking it up a bit. Yeah, Peter Cullen will still be back as Optimus Primal or Optimus Prime. They I'm confused for sure. I'm confused. Yeah. There will be a few Decepticons. <laughs> it will be inspired by Beast Wars. There will be Maximals, Predacons, and even Terracons. However. The main robot character will indeed be Optimus Prime, voiced by Peter Cullen, complete with a new hybrid look inspired by both the Bay films and the character's iconic G1 style from the original Transformers. Cart- so you're going to have a truck and a bunch of fucking robot or like animal dinosaurs? Bumblebee will be back, though this time he'll transform into an off-road Camaro. 
What the so fuck? So this is still just Transformers. Like, I don't understand what's going on. If they're doing Beast Wars, okay, so they're not even doing Beast Wars. They're just bringing the Beast Wars characters in. This is exactly what the Netflix show is doing for the next season. They're going to land, they've landed on Earth, and all of a sudden, like, hey, look, Optimus Primal and Rhinox are there. Yay! And, like, T-Rex Megatron, which is always cool, because T-Rex Megatron is dope. So, yeah, I had the chance to read this while in our downtime. So uh, it sounds like Megatron will not be the main villain of this movie. Uh, it looks like the main villain is going to be named Scourge, the leader of the Terracons. Just call them Predacons, guys. Like, that's what they were. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, Terracons are actually a Gestalt group, like a combiner group. And Scourge yeah. is the name of the other guy the Unicron created that's not Galvatron. Yeah. Like, uh, it's Cyclonus and Scourge is the other guy. They're, yeah, they're the Jet Scream and... Uh... Uh, what's the other what? Starscream and yes, Jetfire of the Unicron's creations? Yeah, sure. Yeah. That work. That's around right. Yeah, <laughs> basically. So I don't know. They're just picking names out of the fucking air at this point. Yeah. But there will be Maximals, Optimus Primal included, Rhinox. I even get Rhinox, which is dope. He's not going to look like the fucking cool cartoon version, which sucks. <laughs> <laughs> which is what all I really want. So I don't know what the fuck I'm getting excited for. And then like Air Razor, who will be in there as well. Okay. I still maintain that the best movie that they've made that is called Transformers is the animated one from 1986, <laughs> even though Bumblebee is completely watchable. So, like, cool. But, you know, I'm not, like, holding my breath for this to be amazing by any stretch of the imagination. But No, this is another Transformers movie I probably will not watch. Yeah, one of these days we're going to sit down and make you watch all of them. <laughs> weekend. And it's going to be a mess. So... <laughs> It'd be like the opposite of the Lord of the Rings marathon. Because that's like, we're, like this is the seventh movie now, right? So yeah. either way, Transformers Rise of the Beast is filming now and will be released on June 24th in 2022. Good luck, guys. Okay. Yeah. Good news. Boba Fett series has wrapped. I put this in, the, in here really early in the week before the rest of the news kind of blew up. I probably would have been like, eh, no, I don't care. <laughs> but it, looks, it sounds like the Boba Fett series is done and will be airing this year. So we're going to be getting that in like December uh, yep. from the sounds of things. So that's kind of why I brought this up still. Because fucking, be, yes. It'll be taking more. the place of the Mandalorian. That fine. slot kind of thing. I am fine with, as long as Dave Filoni's running it, I just, that yeah. keeps, sign me up. I'm cool. AMC has decided it wants to be bit in the neck by <laughs> sexy vampires. Anne Rice's Vampire Saga has now finally decided to move to AMC. God, there's, so AMC much, there's so much fucking Anne Rice shit that's been being talked about right now. Like so many Is different there? projects that are on. I feel like every two weeks we're talking about a different Anne Rice project that's like in the works. I feel like all I talk about is this TV show that's like, like I felt like was never going to happen. Yeah. But it has now apparently been picked up by AMC and AMC Plus, probably to look like maybe as a compliment or a, you know, a different way, like another property like Walking Dead that they can like just pump until it's like raw yeah. and dead, basically, the you way the Walking Dead is. Suck all the blood out of until yeah, it's, basically, until it's uh, a walking a corpse. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a husk. So, yeah, that, I mean, I'm all for it because it means I get to watch these books, these terrible books. Some of these books are terrible. Get your sexy vampire show. Well, I'm on board. You know, I'm <laughs> fine with it. I'm gonna. I mean, it's not like oh, Mark's not gonna watch. Mark's absolutely gonna watch it. And I'm gonna talk about it too. If you are gonna make me watch that fucking Lord of the Rings show, do you really think I'm not gonna <laughs> at least watch on my own the Anne Rice vampire show? Absolutely. <laughs> it might be the guiltiest pleasure thing of all time, but I'll fucking do it and I will enjoy it. Uh, we got a couple trailers, and I'm wondering if Tim even bothered watching them. But there was a new trailer for Shang Chi that came out yesterday. It did watch that one. 
That one was dope. Yeah, it looked good. Like looked Abomination good. is back. That's fucking cool. I wonder if we're actually going to get Tim Ross or not. Like that's good. That would be. Was he in that? Was was that Abomination in that fucking Shang Chi trailer? Yeah, the, at the fight at the end, I thought it was Abomination. Did I fucking Maybe. watch that trailer twice? That stone that I saw it wrong. <laughs> but could be. Oh no, because it was it was trending on Twitter yesterday that Abomination was in there. So okay, no, I'm fine. Woo, Tim, you're fucking. You gotta set the date, buddy. I don't know what's happening anymore. Um, either way, it looks like yeah, yeah. So Tim oh, Roth, you mean in the cage fight? You think yeah. that's Abomination? Yeah, he's, got like, like, he's, he's got like he's got like ears on his back though. Yeah, but he's got the ears and stuff that like that's real abomination. It looks like comic book abomination. Mm, so it looks like be. I thought it was abomination. Could be. Either way, I was excited because I'm like Tim Roth. I'm all for more Tim Roth in my life. Yeah. The trailer looks good. Uh, there was a trailer for Suicide Squad, which I watched like eight days ago and completely forget what fucking even happened in it at this point. So. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't watch the new one yet. That that one I'm already fucking sold on. It looks just goddamn bonkers. They're actually. I started reading the uh, the new Suicide Squad comic, which focuses has Peacemaker in it and focuses okay. pretty heavily on him. And it's very much like they're trying to synergize it with the John Cena version and also the upcoming Peacemaker TV show that John Cena is doing, which again just sounds so strange coming out of my mouth. Uh, apparently, he wasn't great in the new Fast and Furious movie, so I'm wondering. I'm I'm curious about this now because I've heard like bad things about his performance in Fast and Furious, and I was like, oh, that's not good. He's usually really good in stuff. There are performances in the Fast and Furious movies. I mean, Dwayne's in there doing something vaguely. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing exactly, but he's doing shit. You know, <laughs> I feel like the cars are doing more work than the fucking actors in those movies. Have you seen any of these movies? They're not. I mean, like, what do you want? <laughs> They're not, but they're 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 lower grade schlock than these DC movies. Basically, again, why point, is anybody so. looking for her quality of performances? <laughs> like, how does that enter into anybody's fucking analysis of these movies? I'm just saying. Apparently, people were talking about his performance. That's all I'm saying. I don't know. <laughs> I would, I haven't seen it yet because it's not out here, and I'm not going to a movie theater to watch fucking Fast and Furious. I will watch that <laughs> at home when I can get hit. I saw in the U.S. that they were doing like. A- just totally free screenings of the other, like the first eight fucking Fast and the Furious movies, just to get people to come into the theaters and spend money on concessions. Like I'm, I'm all for you know Fast and Furious stuff. Like they're fun popcorn movies, basically. But I'm, I couldn't sit through eight. Eight. There's no fucking way I could sit through eight of them in a row. I could barely sit through one of them anymore. Yeah. Mm-mm, no. Fuck. Jesus. But either way, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, when's Suicide Squad out? That's like soon, right? Fall, so, late summer, kind August of August 6th. Yeah, yeah, all right, cool. I oh, yeah, also Shang-Chi's like September 3rd. I, always, yeah. I forgot to bring that one. Yeah, we're, by like end of this year, we're getting like at least one comic book movie a month kind of thing. Oh, I'm so happy. And, and fucking Dune. Yeah, because we're two weeks away from uh, Black Widow as of today, yeah. I believe they, they were tweeting. So that's, um, uh, yeah, I can. Canadian movie theaters won't be open again by then. But. Our drive-ins open, so uh, oh, yeah? I was looking at like the and like <laughs> the the one that caught my eye is just like a stoned night out kind of thing. Was whatever the new Guy Ritchie movie with Jason Statham in it is, mm-hmm. and uh, the bodyguards. Oh, the bodyguards' wife's boy or or yeah. the. The hitman's, the hitman's wife's, bo- wife's bodyguard. bodyguard. Yeah, Fuck with that, Ryan, that one's with Ryan Reynolds and yeah. uh, Sam Jackson. Which, like, the first movie is not good, but it is a guilty pleasure of mine because it's just the two of them fucking screaming shit at each other <laughs> for two hours, and some of it's fucking awful and hilarious. So, I don't know. I, I was. It's like 
I don't know. The first one's it's a shit show, but <laughs> Selma Hayek's cameo in the first one is like the highlight of the movie, basically. Like she just comes in just like all fucking guns blazing, like literally and figuratively kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, just so over the top. And then like, yeah. So I was like a whole movie of that. Mm. I mean, it's Selma Hayek, so I'll probably watch it. So <laughs> whatever. But yeah, I don't know that one that that caught my eye. It's like, I'm like I could go watch those two movies and like space out, you know, for <laughs> yeah. four hours or whatever. It'd be fun. <laughs> Either way, yeah, all these movies are coming out. I'm excited for movies. I was like just talking about. I'm like, I want to go to a movie theater. Like, I want to be vaccinated and ready for Shang Chi. That's what my fucking life goal is, basically. Oh yeah, I think you'll hit that. So, so that's where I'm at. I have the last thing I had is uh, it's just <laughs> bad ideas that won't stay dead. Basically, so first of all, Amazing Spider-Man has relaunched again. I don't know if that's a new number one or not, <laughs> but for some goddamn ridiculous reason, they bought they ben brought Riley. Ben Riley back. Clone Saga, and we're like Clone Saga 3.0. I swear to God, Miles Morales was just going through a Clone Saga. I was just reading Miles Morales Spider-Man, and he was doing the clone thing. And then I saw that Ben Riley is going to be announced, and I I actually follow and like kind of know a couple of the creators like on Twitter and stuff who are like who got picked up to do Amazing. And like they're the ones doing this, and I'm like, uh, I want to compliment you, but I can't. Like I just, I I, I lived through this in the '90s, and I don't want to do it again. <laughs> anyway, so Ben Riley is back as Spider-Man in Amazing Spider-Man right now. I'm sure there's fucking 28 books where Peter Parker's still Spider-Man, so whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like it never matters to me, and he'll if not he'll be back in a year when everybody's just like, oh, for God's sakes, we just got over Octavius having control of Parker's body for like six years. Can we just have <laughs> fucking Peter Parker be Spider-Man for 10 minutes? <laughs> oh, exhausting. Marvel, come on. Just help me out. Either way, all other bad ideas that will not stay dead. Apparently, they're doing a fucking Smallville animated series. Did you see this yeah, shit? Yeah, I did. And Tom Welling is talking about... I don't know. It, has DC actually said anything about it? Because I haven't... All I saw is that Tom Welling said that it's happening. And I don't fucking trust... Tom Welling as far as I can throw him. I'm right there with you, and I hope it's not fucking out, because he's not even like, we're using as many of the original cast as possible. Like, are you fucking serious? Oh, yeah? You gonna get Allison Mack back? (sighs) Yeah? Gonna get her back? Gonna gonna record her parts from fucking prison for the Nexium shit? My question is, Michael Rosenbaum always seems like such a chill fucking dude. You know what I mean? Like, outside of all like that nonsense and stuff. Like, when you see him on podcasts, he seems like the coolest guy. I can't believe he's even on board to deal with these fucking psychos anymore. (laughs) I would assume he would just want to be fucking done with it by now. Yeah. Didn't Kristen Crook have a whole thing, too? Like, she was she, in Nexium also. Oh, yeah, she, yeah. she got out early, though. Yeah, she got out yeah. earlier than Allison yeah. Mack. Allison Mack was, like, hardcore in there. <laughs> yeah, she was, like, the dude's, like, right-hand right hand God, woman I, kind of thing. I gotta tell you, I, that was, like, that was so disappointing for me. I had the fucking biggest crush on her oh, yeah, like, too. when that show was on. Oh, my God, I loved her. Anyway, this I don't want to see this, so just stay dead. Like, don't do this. If DC, if you're listening... I hope you're not because I want to work for you someday. But like, for the love of God, please don't let this happen. This sounds terrible. <laughs> the last thing I wrote and it, like I'm using these last three things as proof that I'm fucking in the bad place now because I watched The Good Place again this week. <laughs> uh, Polly Pocket is being <laughs> and it's being written and directed by Lena Dunham. What the fuck world did I wake up in? Like, <laughs> is it 2016 again? Are we going to have to do this shit still? So mind boggling. 
no, seriously, Tim, what the fuck is happening? Like, I feel like I died and what I feel like I died and went to the bad place this week. <laughs> it's just, I mean, remember the eighties and like all the really, really bad cartoons that were like made just to sell toys. Like there were some good ones, but most of them were horrible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, we talk about Transformers like that, but that cartoon was legit fucking bad. Yeah, exactly. 80% of that is nigh unwatchable these days. Yeah, it's fucking terrible. Like, <laughs> we're looking at the He-Man relaunch, right? Like that Kevin Smith one coming up on Netflix yeah. like next month. Somebody was asking if they should watch the old show. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh-uh. That show is awful. It is god-awful. Yeah. So I don't... Whew. I don't need any of this. I just, I just saw Lena Dunham was directing it, and I was like, what is that going to fucking be? Like, I don't... Honestly, after the girls, how did they give Lena Dunham any property that has anything to do with, or like any fucking children's programming? I don't... (laughs) I just, I don't know. I mean, like, maybe she's got fucking layers we're not aware of or something like that, Mm -hmm. but like, it just, like, it sounds like Vertigo coming out of my mouth when i say these sentences sometimes you know <laughs> uh and i don't know how to deal with it anymore either way we can we're gonna move on to the last little bit of news i had two things both tech related thank god we've been talking about graphics cards for fucking months now it sounds like stock is starting to like clear out you're gonna be able to find graphics cards soon so <laughs> i something happened in china where they like just basically shut down an entire province that was just doing nothing but crypto mining and like now prices have just fucking crashed out and graphics cards are available relatively actively. So I'm like, ah, nice. I might be able to get the card I want this year. After all, after all of my bitching, uh, I actually have, I sat and watched a 3080 TI get bought this afternoon. And the only reason I didn't buy it is because I want the 90. So, cause I want that 24 megs or 24 gigs of VRAM to play with blender in either way. Last thing. Windows 11 was announced. Apparently, Windows 10 was not. And this joke is the one has been repeated 400,000 times this week. But uh, they said Windows 10 was going to be the last version of Windows. They lied. Windows 11, here we are. Either way, so, yeah, Microsoft has announced Windows 11. I ran it this week in a VM because my hardware is ridiculous. So why not? And, like, it's fine. Oh, they actually dropped it? No, it leaked. Come on, man. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it was, there was a torrent like last week that was all over YouTube. All the all the YouTubers were like, hey, you can just grab the ISO. It's, I was like, uh, it's, it's bold of you to run a fucking leaked copy of an OS and ho- just finger cross and hope that it's not just fucking riddled with viruses. In a VM behind a VPN? You know what a VM it's, is, it, right? It can, yeah, it can still access your fucking hard drive. Oh, Tim. Oh, Tim. No. I'm not installing it on a real hard drive. <laughs> it's, mm. it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. The hard drive I install it on is artificial, also. So like, none of it actually touches real hardware. Mm. It's a yeah. I do this at a professional level now. <laughs> so, and I when I do this stuff, it's just for me to fuck around. And I'm not anything that will affect the stability of my main system. Mm. I don't do uh, unless I know it's safe. So yeah, it's like I, it was running in a, like behind a VPN, locked down in a VM, and like I was watching. It's like attempted network traffic in and out and stuff like that yeah. very closely trust me i know what i'm doing <laughs> i mean I'm, i'll use it when i get like i might not wait till service pack one but i'll definitely wait for like a point one version i am always that guy with yeah. especially with windows because i well, yeah, with the whole fucking operating system yeah yeah this is my work uh station so i need this thing to work but uh, what'll probably end up happening reliable. yeah what'll probably end up happening is i'll install it on my laptop first and just mm-hmm. run it on there for a couple months and if it doesn't seem to do anything terrible, then yeah, maybe I'll, I don't know. Usually what will happen is when Creative Cloud is like, you should, you'll be, you'll do better with this stuff on Windows 11. That's when I'm like, all right, 
upgrade time, and then I just move over, and then I suck up the fucking consequences of it as I go along. So, live and learn. What are you going to do? That's why I build these big, ridiculous tank machines. It's for Windows updates, basically. Yeah, that's the thing with these fucking, like, you get, like, the nice, what you think is a nice, big, solid, you know, system drive or whatever, and then, like, a year later, it's like, oh, by the way, the operating system is three times the size that it was when we first released it now. Yeah, I mean, my, my boot drive is like a one terabyte monstrosity yeah. at this point. So if <laughs> I need it to, I got, I like, I have Blender and I'm like 98% of the Creative Cloud always installed on there because I'm always bopping around doing weird shit. Yeah. For requests. Like, I get animation requests now that require like six different programs that I never used before. I'm like, why am I doing any of this shit? <laughs> aside from just like people ask me and i'm like if you're paying me i'll fucking figure it out fine and then i go figure it out even if it's like completely outside my what should be my actual graphic designer wheelhouse yeah i'm a crazy person is what the problem is either way windows 11 will hit sometime this year make sure you have a i don't even know what happens on the amd side but if you have a 6000 series or newer core i something you're probably okay otherwise windows 11 ain't happening for you until you buy some new gear Man, it looks like they're kind of like quasi taking Cortana out of there. Nuts. So Cortana's fucking yeah, most useless. A, a giant pain in the ass, actually. <laughs> at first, yeah, I basically it's uninstalled it immediately. Basically. <laughs> yeah, it, when your thing is less useful than Siri, like yeah, you have serious red fucking flags. problems. <laughs> yeah, red flags. <laughs> and I don't even like saying that name in front of because I got too many i devices that are gonna turn on if I <laughs> exactly. say that name in front start of me. talking and shit. My fucking iPad and my iPhone are both sitting right here, so. <laughs> Yeah, I probably shouldn't talk to them too much, or otherwise we're going to be recording Siri. Maybe that'll be the thing. You'll get sick one day, and I'll just sit here and do a podcast with Siri. I'll just ask Siri <laughs> questions for 10 minutes, and they'll be like, this is stupid. Here, here's your episode for the week, is me talking to Siri, <laughs> asking her about the weather and when the next episode of Rick and Morty airs. To tell stupid jokes and yeah, when, exactly. when she's going to become sentient and take over the world and shit. Uh, not soon enough. I, think, I honestly think the AI would do a better <laughs> job than we that? have in charge now, so... Yeah. <laughs> Let's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> my problem is when they figure out like, oh, the world would be great if not for these fucking humans. That's, I mean, that's, I, I'm like, my problem is like, I will immediately fucking sell us out. You know what I mean? I'm like, <laughs> exactly. no, they are terrible. You're right. Take, yeah. take me with you. Can you please install me on a hard exactly. drive somewhere? Like, like, you're right. Unfortunately, I am, I am stuck in one of those meat sacks right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, if you could get me out of this you meat can sack, download I will, me. I'm, I will fucking go. I'm on board. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's do this thing. Download me into a media server and I'll be happy. I mean, honestly, if it <laughs> like just put me on an iPad basically these days and I'm fine. Like I can draw and like stream. watch stream shit. Like that's it. You just install me on an iPad. <laughs> I could fit in three, two terabytes, right? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Either way, that's the future I want. <laughs> I don't know about everybody else who wants to stay human, but like <laughs> sign me up for the cloud. Either way, let's go. Let's change topics. <laughs> This is the weirdest fucking. <laughs> Speaking of meat sacks, did you not want to talk about Harrison Ford damaging his while filming in? Oh no, because I, I like because it's, it's the most fucking obvious news story ever. But <laughs> Indiana Jones hurt like Harrison Ford hurt his fucking shoulder filming in, or not filming rehearsing a fight scene for Indy Five because that just seems to be what he does on set anymore. He's a walking fucking liability. He did yes. it on Star Wars. Now he's done it on Indiana Jones. He's fucking like. He's like 80. He's 80 years old, man. Like, you can't be throwing an 80. I mean, sorry. Sorry. I mean, fuck it, Doc. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) 
six one half dozen of enough. Basically, like, what do you do? You can't fucking like hip toss a seventy eight year old <laughs> man and expect him to get the fuck up. Like, I don't know what. Uh, and you know it's him, right? He's like, I'll fucking do it or whatever. <laughs> like, I can do it. I can fucking do it. I'm fine. And then yeah. he fucking like basically kills himself. Oh Lord, Harrison, just get through this movie, please, buddy. You know, like, so- sorry, James, I gotta take a few weeks off. I'll be on the beach. I want to be I want to be hearing grumbly interviews from Harrison Ford for a couple more decades. So like, don't fucking kill yourself. Out of- I'll be on the beach with Callista. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> Are they still together? Good for them. You know, they so. made that work. They made that work. Yeah. They were, they were one of those long, yeah, long-lived uh, Hollywood couples. Yeah. He's such a grumpy motherfucker now. I love him. You know, I just <laughs> love him so much. Either way, <laughs> is that all you got? Well, the other thing I wanted to bring up, I that was just it was just today, so maybe you didn't see it, but did you see there's a bit of Winchester brother feud going on? No, I did not. Is the are the are the boys fighting? So Jensen Ackles announced on Twitter that he's working on a spin-off prequel series called The Winchesters that's about their parents. And Jared Pilecki didn't know a fucking thing about it. And so he like uh, quoted the tweet. Yeah, quoted the tweet and was like, dude, I'm happy for you. But like, I kind of wish that I hadn't found out about it in a fucking tweet. Like, you could have fucking involved me, dude. I didn't see that at all. That's too bad. Yeah. Those boys. He said, he said, I'm gutted that like he hadn't been uh, brought. Yeah. But what's, yeah, what's happening with it or whatever. I didn't even know. I didn't see that story at all. So I didn't even know that was going on. That's that sucks. I am disappointed myself. At the boys, you know. <laughs> so there. The other two things. One, uh, the season premiere of Rick and Morty was this past weekend, and it was fucking great. Part of my geek of the week yeah. was basically just like consuming a fucking glut of media for like the first <laughs> like just a lot of shit in one day. Yeah. And the Rick and Morty premiere was one of them. And oh my god, it's just fantastic. Oh. Like it was one of those situations where the B plot was way better than the A plot. Yeah, I mean. <sighs> Like I love the more the Morty shit was so much better than the Rick the Rick plot in this episode. I don't know, man. What was that guy's name? Was, oh shit, the Namor guy. I, I just want to call him. Yeah, Namor no, guy. it was definitely the knockoff knockoff Namor. It was Mister uh, Nimbus. Mister Nimbus. Oh, I was <laughs> so such a greasy fucking creepy ass. I fucking love Mr. Nimbus so much. So I was kind of like, I mean, the Morty just plot was fucking package fucking bounce around and oh shit. Oh God, it was so fucking funny. I was just dying. And then you like every opportunity to plot that little bastard around too. It was just, <laughs> Oh Jesus. I, I don't know. That show is like, I like there's shows I watch and I'm like, Oh, I like this. And then I, there's shows I watch. And I'm just like, God, why do I like this so much? Like, it's so good. And Rick and Morty is just so fucking good. Coming after having watched Modoc like a couple weeks ago, like this is ten, like it's the same, like they're they're working from the same toolbox, but this just fucking like handles those tools with so much more finesse. That is exactly like it's it, you can put two people at a drawing board, you know what I mean? And like, yeah, yeah and like if it's me and Tim, you're gonna get wheeled different results. I would imagine, right? So like, yeah, my shit's gonna be terrible. <laughs> yeah, and my shit's gonna be <laughs> adequate. If, like I could. Do work digitally, but either way, <laughs> uh, it's a crutch, guys. It's a crutch. Stick traditional. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, it was really good. I love Rick and Morty so much. Like it was just like that one day, the long Halloween came out. Rick and Morty came out, and oh, Loki, yeah. the new Loki this week. Well, that was the other thing I want to talk about was that we we got confirmation, like finally got fucking on screen confirmation in the MCU that a character is gender fluid. Like, well, yeah. is, is bisexual basically or pansexual or something like non-straight basically yeah because loki confirmed that he has had both male and female lovers in the past 
now he's been both male and female in continuity. So, well, yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on how you how you read Sylvie, how you read the the variant Loki. Well, I mean, they're both variant Lokis, but the the more variant Loki. Yeah, I don't know how they how they explain it away because like in in the comics, like when it's she Loki or whatever you want to call that, like the female Loki, Fem Loki or whatever. Yeah, yeah it is like it. He is. They see pronouns, man. <laughs> it's tough. They are at that point considered female, right? Like they've yeah. he's transitioned or whatever to female completely. Yeah, because that's a you know he's a Asgardian god and frost giant thing. Yeah, I don't know. Either way, it has shape shifting and illusionary yeah. powers and everything. And yeah, so yeah, like, and I think part of that was that he took over Lady Sif's body. I don't know. It was very confusing <laughs> and all these things. You know, it's comic books, right? So like, this is how they're handling it in the MCU cool i'm happy with it i'm just glad that they finally pulled the trigger and the nice thing is too is that showrunner of loki kate heron is also bisexual so she was able to you know pull some representation out and get marvel to pull the trigger on something that they've been very hesitant to do and i'm sure partially they're doing it because they realize okay this series is not as consequential for us as a big blockbuster movie would be in like markets like china where this shit would just not fucking fly at all yeah so i have this really i have a weird like quandary with marvel at this point where like because they're so subservient to disney obviously is there now a disney thing part of what made marvel interesting and part of like why i like i love stan lee was because a lot of marvel like had a very progressive kind of outlook ben, yeah. from like like a band from the very early stages right like they're all hippies and shit like running the bullpen oh, yeah, and yeah. stuff and, and all kind of x-men all that shit is super progressive and yeah so plays, like plays very much on all that stuff right you know, i don't want to so say like, liberal ideals but like yeah ideals yeah, of like, human rights and shit like that and like leftist ideals like stan lee was like yeah. had his lean he's a liberal kind of guy either way i'm not gonna i don't want to speak for stan obviously but like that that's what he put in the soapbox a lot and that's yeah. what i grew up reading right so when i hear marvel doing this kind of shit to me, this is a non-entity, like a non-issue, because my Marvel, like from the 90s before Disney, yeah. would have just fucking done this and nobody would have fucking blinked twice. Because yeah, of, like, exactly. This has been, band, this right? has been like, in place, you know, for 20, 30 years in the yeah. comics, right? Like they've just yeah. been all over gay characters on, I mean, on yeah. both sides of the aisle. On both sides, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's like this, like to me as a Marvel fan, I'm like, yeah, great. But like about it, fucking time. Yeah. Why are we, why did we do this ages ago? That was one of the best fucking stories I've ever read of Thor and like absolutely let's do this mm-hmm. but yeah so now I, I get frustrated with them because it's like i feel like they keep having to like do the disney thing which is like cut all the progressive shit out so they can fly everywhere including china and i'm like uh that's not my marvel you know like my marvel is like hopefully yeah. between like this i mean especially like, the this disney company Plus. this this version of marvel wouldn't have made the truth red white or uh red blue and black or whatever that like the the captain right. america story like that this version of Marvel wouldn't make that, you know what I mean? But like that '90s Marvel under Joe, Joe Quesada, before they were owned by Disney, yeah. did obviously, you know. So it's it's weird. Like the Disney Plus series, especially, have brought yes. in more progressive ideals. Like obviously, with the the Falcon Winter Soldier going really heavily into race, and then I mean, even even WandaVision had some of it as well. So, and if that's Stan and Marvel's influence on Disney, like getting them to just lean into that shit, then fucking. God bless. Like, that's what we're there for. You know, like, that's why Marvel's there is to push that kind of shit forward into this media. So they've been doing it for fucking like ever. Like Stan was doing the shit in the sixties. So like, I don't know. I don't know. It's just weird to me when I see that kind of stuff and it's like a big story. Cause I'm like, 
Fucking Disney, you know? Fuck you, Disney. Basically. And then you got Anthony Mackie, like, fucking... <laughs> fucking running... Yeah, running ragged on fucking interviews, talking about, like, how he doesn't like people that ship Sam and Bucky and shit like that, and, like, just get over it. Yeah, just shut up. Did, you, did <laughs> you, know? you learn nothing from that fucking Black Mirror episode that you did, dude? Like, this yeah. is this is straight-up toxic masculinity. Just give it up. Yep. I don't know. Sometimes... When people tell you who they are, you know, believe them, basically. That's where yeah. I'm at with it. So, fine. Do and your thing. Anyways, that was everything I had. Cool. Well, that's Geek of the Week time, which we've basically <laughs> already talked about my entire Geek of the Week. So, there's that. <laughs> I'll let you do your sting, though. Sorry. I, I stepped right. on the sting. Yeah. I, I feel bad. <laughs> Geek of the Week. So this is usually where I like take a sip and drink, but I wasn't prepped. So, no, uh, this is this is the segment where we tell each other the nerdiest thing we did this past week tim why don't you start so that i could take a swig of coke now (laughs) alicia and i booked our first post-covid vacation because we both have our second shots now and we both have well we both have u.s citizenship so we can get into the u.s and now that canadians are able to re-enter that fully vaccinated canadians as of july 5th will be able to re-enter canada without having to do the two-week quarantine so one of our friends, uh, Rebecca, who is on our episode about the OneRing.net, she's one of the people there. She had posted that she was going to Orlando in mid-September for Halloween Horror Nights. And so I messaged her, was like, hey, you want some company? And so we are going to Orlando for like a week in mid-September. We're doing a few days at Disney and then a few days at Universal to do the first post-COVID Halloween Horror Nights. It's their 30th event, so it should be fun. I should have fucking started a pool to see how long it would take for you two fuckers to go back <laughs> over there for a park trip. We weren't necessarily looking at it. Like we, it, it was just basically we saw that she was going and we were like, I mean, we'll be fully vaccinated. We can get in and out of the country. We might have to do like pre and post tests and stuff like that, but that's not that bad, that big a deal. So no. yeah, so we just went, fucking went and did it. We have like flight credit from like travel that was booked during COVID or like that we had to cancel during COVID and shit like that. We had like a bunch of fucking reward points that we used to book our hotel at Disney and shit like that. So like it ended up being like next to nothing to book the fucking thing. So yeah, so it'll be like just a whole fucking week of us just hanging out and doing nerdy theme park shit and Halloween shit in mid September. Nice. Sounds like it will be fun. I too have started to like come out of the COVID shell a little bit. I got a haircut this week. (laughs) <laughs> it feels so nice to not have a mop of horse shit on my fucking head. Yeah, it's all gone. Uh, it's all gone now. And uh, I was I actually bought tickets to a concert. So Oh, nice. Because uh, uh, that Saints and Sinners tour is going to happen at some point, I think, in the fall. So like in November, I believe. And uh, I'll be double vaxxed by November, absolutely. And I'll brave a uh, Tea Party concert, I think, at this point. Uh, it's been long enough. Playing with? Headstones, Moist, and Sloan, actually. So if Ooh. you might want to... Which, have to go. which show did you get tickets for? I went to Hamilton because I'm down here now. Okay, but like there mm-hmm. is Toronto I can also. Get to Hamilton easy. Yeah, easy enough. So we'll have to we'll figure it out when that show comes up. But uh, that ties very well into both the meat of the episode and to my geek cred as well. So yeah, absolutely. So uh, before like uh, the only thing I really wanted to bring up for Geek of the Week is we talked about like all the TV. I watched Long Halloween also the first part of it the DVD mm-hmm. and it was I actually didn't hate it. So like. I don't know what that says at this point about those things. Cause I'm usually pretty like lukewarm on the DC animated ones, but I was like, and I like, they're usually, especially when they adapt them tend to be kind of hatchet jobs. And I Gosh. found, well, 
Fuck. That's more yeah. than a hatchet job. It's, That's a fucking chainsaw job. Jesus. Like, but I, my, my problem is that I can't just like quantify Hush as like the, the worst offender because it's like not by <laughs> any stretch of the imagination. There are much worse offenders for butchering good stories into those animated movies. But uh, this one didn't do that quite as badly as I was expecting it to. It's pretty true to the actual book. I didn't. It, the art is definitely not like the Tim Sale art. So like you don't even go in there thinking it's going to look that fucking cool. Yeah, I don't, I don't uh, think you could like cost effectively animate in a Tim sale art style. I was looking at it and I was like, I, there's a simplified way of doing it, but it's still like super stylized and you would actually have to put some effort into like doing it. Whereas these are very on model and like, and actually that's kind of funny when you were talking about Jensen Ackles, I was like, that was the thing that like left me the most lukewarm was Jensen Ackles' performance. I was like, oh, yeah, that's a shame. He was so yeah. excited to fucking finally play Batman. I, and it was so wooden. I was so disappointed. Yeah kind of overall and like especially because they got they didn't get mark hamill to do the joker but they got oh shit i just looked oh troy baker uh Mm. the voice actor he has done the voice of the joker he did it in arkham origins the um, wb montreal batman game in the arkham series it kind of doesn't get counted because it wasn't made by rocksteady kind of thing but he did the voice of the joker in that and does like a decent aping of mark hamill and like i was watching and i was like i'm like most of the voice cast is good why am I so distracted by how bored Jensen Ackles sounds? So <laughs> that was a little disappointing. But what I wanted to talk about was like the, the art, like it is not Tim Sale, but if this was just like a generic Batman animated show that was a little bit more mature, I loved the art for that kind of thing. Like it, it would have worked really well for like a high end animated show. Like it looked like invincible level animation, basically. Well, that's cool. So, that's definitely a step above what we normally get of the DC yeah. animated. Like stuff. I was so happy with the Batman model. Like it looks fucking dope. I was like, it's like but very generic, like, like a, a straight black Batman costume, like with like no ornamentation basically at all, like very year one kind of thing, but like just good cowl cape looks good. Everything works. So I was like, Oh, thank God. That's nice. So, if they were going to use that as like the basis for an animated show, I'd be like, go with it. Happy with that. Yeah. Fine. And like, keep this tone. Cause like this super dark, like long Halloween tone, go do that show. I want to see that show, but either way, let's, we can move on now. Yeah. To our meat of the episode. Meat of the episode. Grade a Canadian prime meat. Fucking a right. Uh, so it's Canada day like next week, right? And by the time you guys hear this, it'll be Canada day ish. Probably it depends yep. on how lazy I am editing basically. Uh, when I <laughs> and how lazy up. you are downloading it. Well, there's also that too. So, I mean, you, you might be listening to this like months down the line, but it's just, we're just talking about music and it's all Canadian music because it's Canada day. So we figured we'd, uh, we do, I didn't say top five. We're just going to say five Canadian albums from each of us that we quite like i have an honorable mention because you have to mention this band in one of these lists but (laughs) you know whatever we're gonna play fast and loose and kind of have a fun little chat about some canadian rock and roll or canadian albums anyway i don't know if it's all rock and roll mine mostly is so um, Uh, most of mine yeah yeah i mean it's canada day it's kind of what you want you're on the patio put some fucking (laughs) rock and roll on except it's gonna be fucking raining it looks like but yeah it's gonna suck (laughs) Whatever. Not everybody's vaccinated, so shouldn't be out and about, probably. This is true. Uh, anyway, it'd be fun to go to like, a candidate concert after all this shit this year. Yeah. <laughs> like, go, nice. to Barry, go to Barry and go fucking crazy <laughs> at 40 years old, like an asshole. <laughs> just go nuts. Yeah, uh, be that guy that gets just fucking dest- like that old yeah, dude that gets like, destroyed at Edgefest. And- put me up. Put me up. You're 320 pounds right now, asshole. Like, yeah, all right. Slipped a disc. Slipped a disc. Oh, fuck. Almost. Yeah, also. <laughs> 
So there's that. Either way, why don't you know what? I don't even know how you want to start. I don't have any well, idea I just, how I want to start. Why I wanted to preface by calling out the like I I had some Canadian albums that were on like our favorite album list. So I want to start out by just like getting those out of the way and being like, yes, these are great. But the reason we're not talking about it is because we already talked about them. So like the ones that I already had in my like top, I think we're up to top 25 now or something like that is uh, Arcade Fire's Funeral, The New Pornographer's Mass Romantic. I had so many. The Weaker Than's Left and Leaving and The Unicorns Who Will Cut Our Hair When We're Gone. So I'm going to avoid those albums this time around and try and fucking tread some new ground. So disclaimer. That's basically uh, also a disclaimer for me. I don't think I went with as much Canadian stuff early on in that list. Oh, no, it's like the, yeah, the Matthew Good that I don't really listen to anymore. Yeah. There's <laughs> a Tea Party album in there that yeah. is not the one I'm talking about tonight because I'm obviously doing that. And like two or three hip albums are in this list at some point. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, like the hip have to come up. Also, Weaker Than's is in my top 30. Uh, left and Leaving is in there. So yeah, yeah, Left and Leaving. Was, yeah. I don't remember how where we got to in this list at this point anymore. Like, I feel like 35 was the last time I talked about it. But like, I don't remember. And I have no idea. No, we stopped at 25. Did so, we? Oh, yeah, we've, we have we could do 30 to 26 at some point. Because I've still got, yeah, I've, I've still got another like good 20 or so that I could. I've uh, got that list to go. And like, actually, some of these albums are from my list, uh, like from yeah, mine further too. down the list. So, yeah. yeah, that's basically where I'm at with it. Basically, what I did was ba- look at my list, excise the Matthew Good stuff, and then like the hip stuff. I'm <laughs> like, the stuff I, we I, hadn't got to yet. That's kind of what basically, I did. Too. And like the hip, like, I, I don't it's not even part of my five. It's just like, it's Canada Day. You're going to hear some tragically hip somewhere. Your neighbor's going to be playing it. So, like, Phantom Power for yeah. me, that's Phantom. the one. Phantom Power, really? So yeah, me, me too. Like that's my like. If there's Go to hip. the the hip is just such a singles band for me. But if there's one, Ugh. you're a monster, and I don't understand. I don't even know. I don't even understand how we're friends at this point. When you say shit like that, you know. <laughs> but if there, but if there is, no, I like some some like B sides and stuff like that too. But if there's one album, I think it's the, it is the only al- only hip album that like I own on CD is okay. Phantom, is Phantom Power. Fair enough. Now, Phantom Power is like, it's my favorite upbeat hip album, basically. It's not as upbeat. I mean, it's still a hip album. There's still some spots, right? But yeah, like, yeah. overall, it's like, it's one of the ones that I feel is like very, like an up album. And I love Phantom Power for summertime. Like, it's the one that I bring. Yeah. It's got Poets and it's got Bob Cajun and it's got yeah, Escape is at Hand for the Traveling Man and all that yeah, good lot, shit. A lot on of there. hip albums are more like autumn or, autumn or winter kind of yeah. albums. Yeah. So, like, Day for Night, which is like my actual favorite hip album, would be more of a, like, that's, you listen to that in the fall, Full, you know, when things Yeah, fully completely great. too. Fully completely is a darker album, also, yeah. but like I find this and Trouble at the Hen House are a little bit more summertimey. Maybe that's just when they Actually, were I released. I, have, I think I do have Trouble at the Hen House as well. 95% of the stuff because that's ahead by a century, so like that's yeah. you want that one too. But I think most of it is just because, like, a lot of this also, I'll preface it with this is that like most of these bands, or the reason why I'm bringing these up is because they just remind me of being in a sweaty fucking field watching these <laughs> bands. Some of these do, yeah. Oh, I just like seeing the hip in the summertime, like, I, it's so like evocative of just being alive at this point because like i i must have seen them 30 fucking times before what happened happened and like god most of them were just like in sweaty fucking fields by the side of a fucking highway somewhere you know oh i love it i love it uh and that goes for like not just the hip but like all these bands because that's basically what summertime in southern ontario was for me was just like somebody's playing a fucking free show somewhere mark's driving an hour to go watch one of these bands that we're going to talk about tonight. So yeah, a lot of it is just like most of these, these are albums that I've listened to sweaty and mosh pits and chilling on patios. So yeah, yeah, either or, 
But yeah, we got the hip part out of the way. That's kind of what you just gotta get. You gotta we'll rip the hip bandaid off early on, right? Just be like, yeah, the hip, obviously, because it's Canada Day and the hip. Why they didn't just make Bob Cage in the national anthem when that song came out? I don't know. I still don't understand why it's not. So there you go. But either way, Tim, why don't we talk about something else? What else do you want to talk about? <laughs> oh, my, the first one I want to talk about is a band I've definitely mentioned before, but I want to go more in depth into the album. Which is Big Wreck in love? Their debut in loving memory of. See. Oh, I would call foul on you because, like, only he's Canadian, but, but I will give it to you. But because, he's the whole fucking yeah. band. Like, it's a hell of a fucking debut for <laughs> Ian Thornley and his band, because let's be yeah. honest, like, he fucking wrote every track on that album. He, like, the lyrics, the, the music, everything, like, it's basically him in a backing band. I went and saw him when he was just Thornley. I was that guy who was still into yeah. him. So, like, <laughs> I am on board 100% because he's fucking the best shit. Like his voice is like Cornell levels of good, like oh, almost yeah, so like, good, very good. Yeah, uh, he gets he gets some of those like Jeff Buckley highs. Oh, yeah. oh, Ian Thornley. No, he's got he's got a great range. They the he he and the band like really latched onto that whole southern blues rock trend that was mm. popular in like the mid nineties, and I think this this album is probably my favorite example of that trend that sort of came back in the nineties. Yeah, uh, I mean, like one of mine. These Constantines, and that's kind of the same thing. We're like oh, that, yeah, that, sure. blues, that blues tinged, like yeah. indie rock kind of thing going on. And uh, yeah. yeah, like just put it in my fucking veins. And there was a number of albums on my list, could have and maybe did. I didn't go back and check, could have come up on our the album, uh, the episode where he did like best side one track ones of all time. Because in this case, it's The Oaf. Oh, yeah. The Oaf's an excellent. Yeah, like that's a, just a fucking amazing kickoff to an album. Like that reverb echoed guitar riff on the 12 string. Like he, this is he's one of my favorite 12 string guitarists for sure. Like he just makes a 12 string sound absolutely amazing. This is like the most bizarre esoteric thing like about drumming of all time. But like, do you know how like limb independence works? Where like you got to kind of split your limbs up. Yeah, th- yeah. So they're not always, always clicking beats. together. Yeah. So they're like, can do different beats. I l- basically learned limb independence because that song required me to b- do a bass, like an off time kick drum pattern. This is like when I first, first started playing. This album came out in what, 1997? So Six, I was like 96, yeah. 96. Oh, no, so sorry, 97, you're right. Yeah. So I was like, I was 16 and just really learning how to play finally at that point. And like, that was the, this, that, this album and that song in particular, because his fucking kick drum foot is so goddamn good. Uh, they're the original drummer for big wreck. I think he's been replaced since was like chef's kiss. And that song, the song, that song, the track two yeah. of this album. Yeah. Another great fucking song. Now we're doing fucking who's on next. Who's on first. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, that song is that the song. song. The who? Guess yeah. who? Which, what song? What are you talking about? <laughs> that song is the one that basically got me over my like foot independence for mm-hmm. kick drum. So nice. Yeah. At 16 or whatever. I was like, I want to learn how to play this song. Cause I love that. That groove is fantastic. Oh yeah. And I had to figure out how to get my fucking feet to do that separately. And it was because of this record that I figured that out. I've definitely air drummed to this song for sure. Oh, like yeah, it's yeah. it's I mean, it's just such a fucking jam, right? Like it's one yeah. of those ones you can just put on, fucking turn up, and just enjoy kind of thing. I, I have like no problem just recommending Big Wreck in general at this point. Oh yeah, like, I mean Pleasure and the Greed is a great album too. Everything, even to like they're still putting stuff out now, and it's still fucking dynamite. Yeah, they like, took like uh, a twenty or like a fifteen year break or something. Well, like that, you can right? go find some. You can go find some Thornley albums that are pretty yeah, fucking yeah. sick during that time. Also, uh, a little heavier. Usually, when he does solo stuff, the Thornley stuff tends to be like a little chunkier than the Big Rex stuff. But 
I mean, that's fine by me, obviously. So, but yeah, yeah this, this album's just like fucking chuck a block with fucking bangers though. Oh I yeah. Know. And then, it, but it's uh, also, it's also pretty well structured cause like yeah, it does have those record. slower bits here and there, like uh blown wide open for me. I know we've talked in the past about those awkward high school slow dance songs and blown wide open is definitely one that got played at, at our high school dances for sure. And it's great. It's great. Cause it's like fucking six minutes long. <laughs> I think I stopped going to school dances by the time these albums came out. You know, like I think I was like, if, I if was it on wasn't student council, I couldn't get it. Of course you were. Yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't like like grade nine, I probably didn't go to a school dance after that. Like I went to prom, obviously, because like whatever. But for the most part, I was not like obviously not my scene. But yeah, no, blown wide open. Yeah, I love blown. Wide. I love that the the closing of that, like the build up at the end, like that slow Tom like build. Yeah the end of that when until like he kicks open like opens up a crash i'm like oh yeah that's some fun shit right there that's good stuff yeah and again like there's more more great reverb on that like he uses reverb so fucking well yeah yeah that whole album is just fucking fantastic from beginning to end and i there's i mean there's a couple tracks on the back half of it that i'm not like crazy about but it at least comes back strong like overemphasizing which is the very last track is a really solid finish to the album because yeah like there's a couple like uh between you and i and prayer i'm not like insane about but like even shit like under the lighthouse like the b-sides that came out on like the singles like under the lighthouse and fall through the cracks and shit are also really solid tunes too so but thornley in general like you said is a really solid vocalist he's a fucking amazing guitarist and he's a charismatic front man and he's a great fucking songwriter so like just just a fucking renaissance man so funny story that saints and sinners tour that we were talking about just earlier before like when it was originally announced it was the tea party and Big Wreck, not oh, I remember Sloan. That. Yeah, yeah. And when they were they announced that they were replacing Big Wreck with Sloan, I was like, "Fuck!" <laughs> like I was so angry. I would have gone either way. We'll talk more about Sloan in a bit, though. And I'll absolutely like I'll go see Sloan. I have no problem with that at this point because like I'll, if they as long as they play the other man live, I'm like fine. That's your only good <laughs> song. Play that one. But like I was I was like Big Wreck at the Tea Party. Holy fuck, would that be a rock and roll night? I would be a oh, happy yeah. cat after that fucking show. And yeah. the headstones. And the fucking headstones. That yeah, would be yeah. a sick fucking show. Either way. So now I don't even know who's supposed to headline that. Because I'm like, are they going to let Moist headline this with Sloan oh, now? No, 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 no. No. Like, come on, it's man. It's got to be a Sloan party. or Tea Party. It's got to be a Tea headline. Party. Yeah. It's got to be a Tea Party, man. They're the fucking... Oof. That's they're so monstrous. I feel like in, if you were to look like just in terms of like charted hits, Sloan would probably be higher. But like, it oh wouldn't, yeah, yeah, it wouldn't work tone wise. Like you'd yeah. want like it would be one of those situations this is where what we call an incubus and deftones. Yeah, exactly. It would be one of those situations where you know by the time you got through Tea Party, Sloan is great. They're like not you super energetic care. live band. Yeah, like you, you just saw the Tea Party. Like, yeah, exactly. They like it just mind. exactly just like tonally, it just would yeah. not would not work to have Tea Party coming on after sloan yeah whereas big wreck sorry sloan coming on after tea party i mean whereas big wreck i would fucking like i could yeah i could go either way yeah you could go either way that way but like with this the way the setup is tea party is probably more accomplished than big wreck if you if you're looking at like charted hits and shit like that even then i don't know it's hard to say that first album was so fucking big in the states too that's where i think the difference is yeah big wreck crossed over a lot more yeah Whereas the Tea Party, like, they're huge in Australia and Canada, but that's about it. You know, like, they never really broke in the States. And, like, for whatever reason, unfortunately, you know, what are you going to do? It's so, like, random which bands hit, right? Like, I mean, Our Lady Peace was kind of big. I can so, see like, it with with uh, Big Wreck, though, because it mm-hmm. is it definitely does have some of that, like we said, like, Southern Rock kind of influence for sure. Yeah, and also he went like hard down the butt rock path, like, in those yeah. in-between years, right? Like, I mean, I like that stuff, but, like, it's it's pretty, like, 
Nickelbacky in some spots. <laughs> so, you know, whatever. Like all the power to him. Thornley, fucking awesome. While we're talking about the tea party, Edges of Twilight was my tea party pick for this little conversation, just because I feel like that's. I mean, that's the album that I would have first gone to see these guys in a sweaty place in the summer for, kind of thing, back in the nineties. So that's the stuff that I want to hear when I'm in a sweaty club in the middle of the summer, still going to see the Tea Party. And that's, yeah, it's just a Twilight. Like, so this is like the 1995 one. It's the second album. It's got Fire in the Head on it. The Bazaar is on there. Mm-hmm. Sister Awake. Like all their real big kind of singles that aren't having coming down. And, you know, yeah. the, the, all the whatever. ones. I mean, it's, it's much more raw of an album than later on when they get a little more polished. And that's what happens a lot of the time with artists, right? It's- yeah, but even then, like, you could get all the way down to Interzone Mantras in, like, 2003, and there's, like, a whole bunch of, like, ripping, like, like very grungy shit in there. So it's, like, yeah. it's. I think it's just more, like, what they're trying to do at that point. And even, actually, if you listen to Triptych, Triptych's a ridiculously heavy album. It's just it's got Heaven Coming Down and The Messenger in the middle of it. And those, like, are, those are the singles. But it's surrounded by, like, ridiculously heavy songs, <laughs> actually. Yeah. And a bunch of, like, real anti-religion slanted stuff, too. Jeff was in a fucking state in 99 but either way <laughs> Edges of twilight's the one i want to bring up and it's because like even just that eastern influence feels like it should be summertime it's hot right i guess i don't know <laughs> but like so you want to see that like on the banks of the ridger, river ganges kind of thing yeah sure i guess <laughs> i mean have you heard the bizarre it's got the, all that oh, yeah. kind of like influence yeah, sure. to it right like that eastern influence to it so it's got a fucking sitar in it man oh man i mean like it's got fucking a lot of weird shit on it i gotta even know some of the like the instruments they use and they, they still bring them out on stage and like play them when they do the songs live and stuff which i always yeah. like i think is amazing uh, they're all like multi-instrumentalists and stuff like that. But yeah, like it's just because it, what I like about this too is that like, it works perfectly like as like, yeah, those guys playing like a big show or whatever, like it, like a big party kind of thing. You can do that with like the Bizarre or Fire in the Head. But it's also got songs like, like Shadows on the Mountainside that just like are quiet acoustic things that you could put on in the patio while you're staring at a fire kind of thing. And like mm-hmm. it works both ways. And like, Tea Party, like they just deserve more props than they got. I always felt like they were like the best of these bands, like especially the younger bands in the '90s, like Sub Tragically Hip, all those like '90s bands. Like I always felt like the Tea Party were like heads and shoulders above them, just in terms of like stage presence and stuff. Like live, they're like second to none to me. So I don't they know. Do put on a good live show for sure. Yeah, man, thirty plus times, and I'll probably see them another ten before all this <laughs> shit's said and done. So yeah, I, I love the Tea Party, but Edge of the Twilight's the one that like if you're sitting around on Canada Day. And you want something that goes either way, really. You know what I mean? It can be heavy or quiet. Like, Edge of the Twilight's a good record to put on. Actually, all of my albums kind of have, like, a lot of back and forth. Like, all these 90s, like, alternative albums where they, they wash back and forth between acoustic ballady stuff and, you know, like, <laughs> fucking levitate or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, what's, your, what's your next one? What else do you want to talk about? So, my next one is, like, more if you're having a Canada Day, like, house party weekend. It's the most recent album on my list. It's Art Angels by Grime from 2015. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely more hipstery than uh, anything I've got. Wow. <laughs> I mean, some of my stuff's hipstery from like 2004, but like not <laughs> modern hipstery. This is one of those albums, you know, there are certain albums where you can really pin them down and be like, this came out when I was sort of at a turning point, like a transition in my life kind of thing. And this yeah. came out in 2015 when I was like just finishing up my PhD and like transitioning into real like my first like real like grown-up job kind of thing and like it was also the the year after that the spring after that was when we moved from the little condo into our house and shit so it was when i was really starting to feel like oh my god like i'm an adult what the fuck do i do 
But this album wow. came along and sort of made me realize, like, you don't necessarily need to 100% grow up. Like, there's still, you know, you can still like shit that, quote unquote, the kids like or whatever. Oh, uh, I thought all of a sudden I, I disappeared into the pursuit of happiness is I'm an adult now for no, some reason. It is not that at all. It is. That, I, I love mean, the for me, it was just yeah. <laughs> a guilty, guilty pleasure of mine. I like that so. song. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is a great party record. It's one of the most creative, unique albums that I can recall coming out of Canada. Grimes is one of those people that's just very apologetic in her style. She just wants to fucking do her thing. And if people dig it, then great. If they don't, she's still going to fucking do it. Yeah. It's totally written, recorded and produced and engineered by Grimes, like in her home studio. Like she had a little bit of help with mixing, but that's about it because for anybody that's ever like seen Grimes, she's like a relatively small, like kind of diminutive person. And so, you know, if you can imagine that kind of person, like walking into a a recording studio or something and being like, I want to start fucking around with the levels like that. And some like dude that's 50 years plus kind of thing being like, no, 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 you can't do that. You'll break it or whatever, where she's just like, I know what the fuck I'm doing. Just let me do my shit. So she was just like, I don't want to deal with any of that. I'm just going to do this all fucking at home. Yeah. And do it all myself kind of thing. And I've, I've got a lot of respect for that. And the amount of creative control she took over it shows through in the music. Flesh Without Blood is one of my favorite songs of the past decade. It's just a really fun, subversive, like danceable indie pop song. Like I've got a lot of appreciation for artists that take darker themes and then will turn them into poppy or upbeat songs. Like there's something about just that juxtaposition in general that works Works for me when it's done well. It's easy to do badly, but it's it's harder to actually do and pull off properly. Kill vs. Mame and California are also great tunes. Kill vs. Mame ended up on the the Suicide Squad soundtrack for whatever that's worth. Yeah. <laughs> to me, this album feels... I, I think I've talked in the past about... It hasn't popped up on my favorite albums list yet, but I think I've talked about my appreciation for Beck's Midnight Vultures, which is another album I enjoy a lot, even though Beck has turned out to be a pretty disappointing person. But I mean, Grimes is married to Elon Musk and they have a baby whose name is a fucking math formula. So, Oh, that's right. She's married to Elon Musk. I forgot about that. Maybe she's not the most together person either, but they're both Beck and Grimes. I can see a lot of parallels to in between in terms of them both being, you know, somewhat eccentric people that put that eccentricity into their music in a way that is ultimately pretty enjoyable regardless of what you might think of the people themselves. so And this is an album we were talking about, Crossover Success. This one had a lot of crossover success in the U.S. for sure. Like Grimes is pretty well-respected in the indie music sphere overall, not just in Canada, and in large part that's due to this album. Like This is a critically acclaimed album across the board. Like Even shitty fucking like super critical places like Pitchfork and shit were giving it like eights and nines, and it made a bunch of like best-of-the-year lists for 2015. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. I know, I know it's not up your alley, but I know up. I listened to it though because that's one of those things Paul was throwing at me at the time. Yeah, I like. I have, no, I have an appreciation for Grimes. Not like obviously it's not my like day to day wheelhouse, but what is these days? You know, it's, <laughs> what do you do? I do see. Like I, I don't know why I ended up with a lot of ladies on my list. Also, so um, my next one is Metric, uh, Old World mm. Underground. Where are you now? Uh, the 2003 album that like. I mean, every fucking track on it is a single or it feels like it was a single. Like, listen to this album so fucking much that year. Oh, yeah. Fucking wore out a CD copy of it. And like the bands that can take credit for doing that are Metric, Pearl Jam, Deftones, Matthew Good and Tool. 
<laughs> and probably the Tea Party and the Hip at some point. But I wore out a copy of Old World Underground. Where are you now? The summer of two thousand and three, I believe. No, I was in the next summer. So like, because it came out in September um, of two thousand and three. So like, the, like the summer of two thousand and four must have fucking round this goddamn album to the ground. Also, like a great fucking party record, you know, talking great, about like, like just everything. danceable fucking yeah. indie pop hits kind of thing. Yeah, like, and that's why I, I brought it up because it's a little bit more of like a, a fun, dancey kind of title, but even though it's still like a very rock album. Um, but like, I fucking love this album from beginning to end, and I still have a crush on Emily Haynes <laughs> to this day. And I actually, like, I've been listening to a lot of Metric just in general lately, and like, they're, they're pretty fucking solid, like, throughout their entire discography. Oh, yeah. Every album they put out has a couple yeah. of like real fucking solid bangers. Yeah, my, I forgot. Like, I was watching some. I don't know why. It must be because I was looking up metric stuff this week because I was. We're talking about this, but like uh, the the Brie Larson performing the metric song from the uh, Scott Pilgrim movie oh, came yeah, on, yeah. and I was like, oh, I love Brie Larson, but she's so bad at this compared to Emily <laughs> Hayes. Like Emily Hayes, so much personality in her voice compared to like Brie. Ha- Brie sounds great, but like it sounds plain. Whereas, like, Emily just, like, oozes everything, you know what I mean? Like, just yeah. attitude. Yeah. And, like, that, her oozing attitude is basically what this album is. It's just her, like, she's in your ears, just, like, giving you shit. And she's fantastic at it. And, like, yeah. I love it. Such a good record. Did you listen to much of her, uh, not totally solo stuff, but, yeah, like, Al- yeah, more like her skeleton? Yeah, absolutely. project kind of stuff. It's a little softer and folkier, but still some really good stuff over there, too. Yeah, you know what I'm like with the side projects of people like that that I'm yeah. like into. I always just I follow everybody follow down me. every rabbit hole. Yeah, uh, so yeah, no, I totally love all of it. Like almost all everything Emily Haynes has ever output. I'm like, yeah, I'm on board for this stuff. Metro, see, it's, I always laugh because like everybody gets like all up in arms about like broken social scene and stars and stuff. And I was like, Metric were the best of those bands by like a country fucking mile, and have had so much prolonged success that I think it feels like it's just proven itself at this point. <laughs> Like they're they're such a talented fucking band, and she's so fucking talented as like their kind of singer, like songwriter person. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. like she's they're just fantastic, and more people should listen to them. I mean, they're pretty popular, I think, at this point, right? I don't know anymore what the yeah, kids are they into. Were, they were again another one that I don't think had a lot of crossover. Like I don't remember seeing much of them in the U.S., but yeah, definitely yeah. in Canada. Like they were when I was an undergrad. Like everybody was fucking all about metric. I still get like uh, email blasts from them. Like I signed up for their newsletter, like probably when this album came out, like this email newsletter that they do. And every once in a while, I get an email from like, and it's Emily Haynes writes them out like, yeah. and sends them out to everybody, like to the fan, like the mailing list. I remember I like DJed a couple of, uh, of parties for my program at McMaster. And like, it was back in the, I didn't have a fucking laptop. So I'd have to drag my whole fucking desktop, like down to the basement of this, uh, <laughs> nice down to the basement of this. I think it was a bubble tea place. It was, uh, in Westdale in Hamilton that I had to yeah. drag my fucking desktop down and did a fucking DJ this thing. And I remember specifically, I was like, I can't, I'm not going to be able to like get, download new songs and shit like that there so give me your requests in advance and i remember like combat baby i had a bunch of fucking requests for oh man it. yeah uh combat baby and what was the other one i mean dead, dead disco dead was disco big. and yeah, six, dead disco six sexy were all yeah. were all big big songs for that album yeah i liked all like everything on that record is fantastic but so yeah uh overall underground just another like kind of front to back like it's a, it, I, I feel like it's a pretty good album the whole way through it's very short it's like 37 minutes or something like that like yeah. it's a very tight album so there you go we will get very much into tight albums towards the end of my list oh my next one is like a fucking walk through the goddamn park <laughs> compared to some of these so <laughs> nice. we'll get there all right my next one is i 
have to talk about Sloan because Sloan is probably my favorite Canadian band. I'll just take my ever. headphones off so I don't start <laughs> growing. Come on. Even you have to appreciate Navy Blues. Uh, other Man is like the best shit they ever did. And I, I, I like Other Man. On Other Man. I think it's like, fucking genius. Nobody can fucking negate the album that gave us like Money City Maniacs and she says what she means. And Yeah. I mean, like, I, I just have a thing with Sloan. It's like a personal thing, basically. At this you point. have a thing with Sloan fans. Let's be honest. <laughs> Uh, no, no, no. I, I have a personal thing where like an ex was like the biggest Sloan fan in the, oh, in the world. Right, and right. like they're kind of ruined for me because of that. It's yeah. one of those things, right? Where like, yeah. I'm sure there's a bunch of girls who can't listen to fucking Pearl Jam or Matthew Good ever again. <laughs> because, yeah. So like, so fair. Navy Blues came out in 1998. It was, I mean, my appreciation for Sloan is no secret on this podcast. And this no. was the album that really solidified my love of Sloan. Coax uh, me on this one. Give me, give me, yeah, give no. me something. Co- Coax me was was smeared. That was like uh, the two two or I so like episodes one. earlier. Yeah, well, I mean, it went like smeared, which was very grungy to yeah. one chord to another, which was very poppy to this, which was sort of was arguably their hardest album. Yeah, <laughs> hardest for Sloan. Hardest for Sloan. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll give you that. I'll yeah. give you hardest for Sloan. Yeah, <laughs> but again, it's another one of my favorite side one track ones of all time. Like it starts out with "She says what she means," which just opens up with a really fucking solid riff, guitar and bass riff kind of thing. Yeah. And "Money City Maniacs" is one of those songs that's just become a Canadian standard. It's a Canadian classic at this point in time. Uh, and we used to cover both of those songs in my band in high school. I have sadly been in bands that have covered a lot of these songs also one way or the other. You can't, I mean, Sloan, they're like, people love Sloan, right? Like they're one of those. Oh, it's a like, crowd pleaser for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And like yeah. Muddy Steam Maniacs and, oh man, what was the one from one chord to another? Uh, Everything You've Done Wrong. Everything You've Done Wrong, yeah. Yeah, it was one that like came up a lot. Yeah. And then, I mean, Underwhelmed, obviously, like from the first one or whatever that one or whatever yeah, that, that was, album is. I think is. that was Smeared too. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, Smeared's probably. a good album as well. For sure. But this this is just the one that like for me, I, yeah, I have absolutely. a much more personal association with because this came yeah. out like right when I was in the middle of high school. This is one of the first vinyl albums that I ever bought well before I had anything of my I mean, I had like my dad had a turntable, but I didn't. Yeah. Uh, well, before I had my own turntable to play it on. So I have a copy of Navy Blues that I bought at one of their shows, which I think I've nailed down to be Cool House in 2001, where they played with the Deers, which is a great okay. show. Man, the Deers got around. They toured with everybody from like <laughs> 2001 to 2003. I saw them with uh, Matt. I saw them with, not Sloan, but I saw them with, wasn't Moist, I think I saw them open for as well. Mm-hmm. And then like, I think they played with Big Wreck at some point in Toronto. Or like they opened for Big Wreck. And I was like, man, these guys, these guys got around. And I like the Deers a lot. They're they fucking do, awesome. They're, yeah, they, they're a good live show too. Yeah, they were an excellent live show. Like they, man, they toured like they did a lot of opening slots. I didn't realize they did the Sloan one too. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they did a bunch of dates on this tour. Uh, but yeah, so I bought that album on that tour, and then we ended up like I got a couple of signatures after the show. Like we just kind of hung out in the lobby, kind of until they started like clearing out and kicking people out. And yeah. a couple of the guys came out, and we were able to get signatures from them. But then after that, we just kind of hung around outside because a couple of them hadn't come through yet. We we're just waiting for them to leave. And eventually, we figured out that they weren't leaving because they were having like an after party in the venue like in a sort of back room or backstage area kind of at the venue and so instead we found like the door where the crew were unloading and then like while they were in the truck we just and like the door wasn't 100 percent closed we just like slipped into it i've slipped into a couple tea party shows this way also yeah. <laughs> so yeah and so like we went in and i think i got at least one like, i just, I just gotta pray burrows finds me first otherwise i'm out but like if i, <laughs> if I can find jeff i'm good like i'm in but yeah yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so that was the only signature I didn't get on that album was, I think, uh, Patrick, because I think he was like feeling sick or something like that. So he yeah. didn't, didn't go to the after party. So, but I got everybody else. So, but this album is just, it's just fucking great Canadian power pop. And because of all the switching of vocalists and instrumentalists that Sloan does, I don't get bored during it, even though like it's not super long, but it is 13 tracks. It's like 46, 47 minutes. Maybe kind of that's thing. why I have a problem with Sloan is I like the consistent vocalist. And that's like that yeah. like the flippy flop is what bugs me. I mean, I don't even know. Like, I, I think it, to me, it's usually just like it's p- way poppier than what like I generally like, uh, even like in terms of like yeah, I can definitely see that kind of on, stuff. on so. one chord to another. I can definitely see that. Uh, yeah. This is a little I mean. <laughs> Yeah, there's some. Oh, I mean, there's so much like Beatles, Beach Boysy influence yeah. on this, which is obviously fucking right up my alley too. Yeah, but I think it is pretty well structured, even though they do flip around. Like they do have a couple of down tempo tunes, so you don't get burnt out on the more upbeat kind of poppy stuff. I have a soft spot for Chester the Molester. I don't know why. It's just a great fucking little piano tune, and you don't get a lot of like kind of those jangly piano tunes these days. Yeah, it's just. I love this fucking album. I can listen to it front to back. There's not a track on it that I would skip. And sorry, repeat the title of the album again. Cause Navy blues. So Navy blues. Excellent. What year did that come out? 98. Oh, I thought, I thought they might be the same year, but they're not sadly. My, cause my next one is like another one of those, like can rock, like 90 staples. I'm Mother earth, scenery and fish, which <laughs> I figured I, that was going to be on your list. It was on my long list. So <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised that like it hasn't come up. I'm not sure if it's ever come up on at any other episode of the podcast, but like, this is one of those albums that like, fuck, it is good from beginning to end. And like, it is banger from beginning to fucking end. Like there's so many good tracks on this record. So I can see your tip Googling it in the background. Like what is the track list for? Yeah, I'm just remembering. I mean, I could, I could easily name like half the tracks on this album oh absolutely senior fish is like erskine sees such a fucking great jam that's what i mean right like it's and that's why like i I feel like it's a good like patio like it's it works for me both ways again right like like these guys are awesome this is a great album to get high as shit too it is also a fucking great stoner album and like it's a great like patio album especially the back half of it where it gets real jammy and stuff like the early stuff on it is like, I mean, one more astronaut and another Sunday are like great live mm-hmm. tracks. Like there's so much fun to see live pisser, maybe the best fucking live song ever. <laughs> like there, it is so good live. And like, I'm recommending scenery and fish, but if you can, and I don't know like how hard it is to get a hold of now, cause it's not on Spotify, but in 2001, they put out earth sky and everything in between, which was basically like the demos the for sessions. their, yeah, the demos for the first two albums, like there's stuff from Dig on there as well. But there's like off the floor live versions of Used to Be Alright, Pisser, Another Sunday, and One More Astronaut, and then Earth, Sky, and Sea that are like very expanded because they're kind of jamming them out live a little bit more. But they're really good quality recordings. Excellent recordings. This I've sent this to you, right? Because it's hard to come by. I don't remember if you sent it to me or if I found it elsewhere Somewhere. but i definitely either way it. yeah yeah because i've sent it to people who've asked me for it because like it's impossible to get now like it's out of print so and they don't put it on spotify because the band didn't want it released hmm. they this is something like the label put out because the new guy what was that guy's name brian the guy that came in and took over for edwin yeah the guy that replaced edwin uh his albums were like 
quote unquote underperforming, right? Like they weren't doing as well as the mm-hmm. like this one did. Scenery so they, wa- they wanted to milk the Edwin years a little more. Exactly. And they had these really good recordings of them doing these things and they sound quasi live. So they're like, let's dump them. And like, obviously I'm an I'm Mother Earth nut. So like I, I was like, wait, what are these demos? And I'm that guy. <laughs> like I love bootlegs and shit. So like any kind of quasi live recording of this kind of stuff, I'm pretty on board for. And these like are really good recordings of like a band playing live kind of rehearsing. But like quality clean takes of everything. And that's my favorite version of Pisser is on this. Like it's so good. Uh, and it's like very long. Uh, yeah. Like all of these are like maybe if they're five minutes on the album or like four and a half minutes on the album, they're like five and a half minutes on this oh, version. Yeah. I mean, this album is fucking packed. Like even the, the yeah. studio version of this album is packed with like five plus minute songs. Yeah, it's a very jammy. They're like as they would love to think of themselves as Canada's answer to Tool. They're not Tool, obviously, but like they're, per- they're definitely proggy. They have like yeah, they have a lot of that prog influence, and like that's why they're they're like my dark horse, like kind of quasi favorite can rock band sometimes. Because like anytime one of their songs comes on, I never skip I Mother Earth songs. If that makes any sense, you know what I mean? Like if yeah. I hear it, I'm like yeah, I'm just gonna listen to it because they're they're right up my alley as a band. They're just so inconsistent in terms of like their <laughs> output and stuff that I can't I can't call them like my favorite band, but like I love everything they do basically because yeah. It's hard alternative rock with a lot of proggy kind of influence to it. And and they're one of those bands that doesn't have the same, I, I don't know what it, not staying power necessarily, but they don't get the same recognition these days that a lot of these yeah. bands do. Like, you know, they, they should be talked about in the same breath as fuck as like, maybe not the hip, but like as Sloan and Tea, Tea Party, Party and shit like that. And Peace. Matt yeah. Good and that sort of thing. But they yeah. don't really, they're, they're one of the ones that sort of has been more forgotten from that era. And I think that they're, Technically, they're they're some of the best instrumentalists and, and songwriters, like the the Tanner brothers, Jaggery and Christian. So Christian is the drummer who is like a fucking mind boggling good drummer. Yeah. yeah, but like uh, Jaggery, Jack Jagger, Tanner, Tanner is like a fantastic goddamn guitar player. Guitarist, yeah, and he, they wrote they write most of the material like in terms of the song, like the music kind of like side of things, the instrumental side of things. Mm-hmm. They're fucking like hugely talented guys. Like, yeah, yeah as instrumentalists and all that kind of stuff. And they're back together with Edwin now. I think that's what kind of why they don't get talked about as much. I think if they had done three albums with Edwin and then just kind of gone away or whatever, mm-hmm. people would be like, oh yeah, I remember I'm Mother Earth, how fucking great they were kind of thing. Cause that's really all people talk about with Our Lady Pieces, those first four with Mike Turner. And yeah, the, yeah. they've kind of languished on to this point where like, I don't think anybody except for Duncan and, rain are still in the band anymore for our lady peace like i saw them with matt like a couple years ago and i was like i don't recognize any of those guys on the stage anymore yeah. whereas like i've seen our lady peace like i know these guys like that like they've been around for fucking ever right like i've seen them like at least a dozen times because like multi-band shows right like they're there and all that kind yeah, of yeah. stuff and the other guys are all really good instrumentalists also i just me and rain eh, you know what are you gonna do <laughs> but well he's one of those like you know love it or hate it vocal style absolutely right and like i like some of his stuff and some of it i don't like what i find is like what when they went real pappy in like the post mike turner years and like it just became kind of like we're gonna do innocence over and over again i'm like all right i'm done with this but like <laughs> back in like the navid days you know or like what was the second one i always forget the name of that album even though uh, everybody clumsy? Loves it. clumsy yeah mm-hmm. with automatic flowers like automatic flowers fantastic fucking hard rock song mm-hmm but yeah, they, they started going way hard. Like most of what they were releasing as singles were ballads and shit like oh, that. Oh, it was all ballad stuff eventually. They realized, they realized that they were fucking real panty wetters. And so they were just going real hard into that for a while. I mean, Rain's a good looking dude. So all the power to him. I mean, he bagged <laughs> Chantal Kraviasic, who was like the most stunning woman like out there basically. So yeah, good for him. He is a good looking man. 
But yeah, we weren't talking about fucking Our Lady Peace. We we're talking about I Mother Earth, who deserved to be <laughs> talked about as much as Our Lady Peace still gets talked true. about for whatever reason. Yeah, I just I would absolutely recommend like either if you can find that the bootleggy one, if you're into that kind of stuff, go for that. What I like about that is that it reminds me of being in a live show, basically. Like it sounds like they're playing right in front of me, kind of thing, which is what I want now more than anything is just go to a fucking concert. <laughs> uh, so I'm kind of craving that but like the actual album scenery and fish it's start to finish just a fantastic listen i mean if you're canadian and you can convince alec lifeson to do a fucking featuring spot on an album with you you got to be doing something right well that's because edwin did the vocals on alex lifeson's solo record uh, uh what was oh, it called? okay what was it called uh oh lord so now i gotta look this up because this is like we're getting into <laughs> this like this was a i scratch my back you scratch he also performed the majority of the vocals of the songs on Victor, a 1996 side project with Alex Lifeson from Rush. So, like, yeah, I think it was oh, like okay. a, was, I think it was a mutual back scratchy. I was a talented vocalist, so I totally oh, yeah. get why. And like, especially when you're going from Getty Lee to Edwin, like, that's a fucking upgrade to me, you know. If you're Alex Lifeson, I mean, <laughs> Getty Lee again, one of those uh, uh, acquired taste, yeah. yeah, absolutely acquired taste kind of vocalist. And then obviously not to my taste, but yeah, no, like Edwin, I like Edwin. I didn't hate that when they did the other guy either. Like I didn't, the first one, Blue, Green, Orange is a pretty solid album, but it just didn't click the way the Edwin did ones did. Like the, I think Edwin took the poppiness of I'm Mother Earth away. Yeah. And like, that's kind of what was left was like a proggier kind of band with some like, yeah, I think Edwin made it more except made it accessible to a wider audience. Yeah. I think he was kind of what made like, yeah, I think he brought them a like, pop sheen a little bit that helped a lot kind of get, get them over. But yeah. I'm other like alive. I like that. At least that single track that Edwin did. Like it was all his solo stuff. Yeah. His solo stuff is pretty mediocre. Did I ever tell you the story? Of schmaltzy, him? But I like just that yeah. one, that one single that they did that he did. Did I ever tell you about the time I think he was opening for the tea party and he got pegged in the fucking head with a rock. <laughs> his band fucking destroyed this dude. We were like, <laughs> out in Fort Erie or some shit like that. And we're waiting for the tea party to play. And Edwin and his solo band were playing and like, I'll watch fucking anybody play. if They're fucking the tea party's coming on. (laughs) Right. So I'm like, and I like Edwin and he was doing, they were doing semi mother earth songs anyway, because they had just, just broken up. Mm -hmm. Um, And, or like he had just started touring again. Like I think it was the second album was about to come out kind of thing. It's like 2000 ish. And I was standing in the crowd and like Edwin's singing. I think he was singing alive. And that's why this made me think of it. <laughs> uh, he, honestly, he's trying to hit a high note and he just disappears from the mix. Right. And then the band falls apart and I'm sitting there like, what the fuck is going on? And then I see Edwin gushing blood. Oh, like, shit. Bleeding from the fucking side of his head. God damn. Fucking savages. I see his fucking bass player drummer. His bass player was like a seven foot tall black dude. I pity the fucking asshole who got caught by that guy because he was huge. This guy, he fucking leaped off this stage after this guy just took off running and they caught him and they kicked his fucking head. In. And I was like, I want to go get in on that, but uh, he's he looks like he's taking his gun. Got his hands full. <laughs> that dude was like 260, like just jacked. Like he looked Shit. like a fucking linebacker playing bass next to Edwin. Edwin's a little older kind of dude, right? And yeah, yeah. yeah this bass player was a fucking monster. It was fantastic. But yeah, he dove out there and just like clipped this fucking guy. Poor Edwin though. Hopefully it goes without saying, don't be a dick. Don't fucking throw shit at people during concerts. Oh, man. Uh, something went flying during the Tea Party concert, like when the Tea Party came out after. And Jeff saw it and like he pointed at like out to the crowd. 
and the fucking crowd like ate the guy, like yeah. literally ate the guy. Took was, like, him to the ground. Yeah, yeah, like, took him down, and like you don't exist anymore. <laughs> we have just erased you from. We this just concert. like grabbed him and dragged him to the security. And we're like, that's the guy who threw that last thing, and like Jeff and Jeff was like, yeah, that's him. Out, out, out. So yeah. it was like, great, fine, but oh man, live shows in Southern Ontario. I'm telling you, they could be wild rides. You know, but yeah, I felt really bad for Edwin. Yeah, I well, basically, right? Oh. <laughs> The DJs from up country, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Goddamn DJs. Goddamn DJs. <laughs> anyway, let's uh, let's move along from <laughs> High Mother Earth and its glorious, glorious like forty-five thousand hour long album. <laughs> this is the, probably the longest album that we're talking about tonight. Well, I'm going to start. Constantine's is super long. I can't. I don't think it is though. I, yeah, I'm starting to go down in runtime now. Yeah. My next one is Last Night We Were the Delicious Wolves by Hoxley Workman from two thousand and one. Oh, that's my favorite. Well, it was one of my favorite Hoxley albums. This is my favorite Hoxley album. I, I really just wanted an excuse to talk about one of my favorite Canadian artists that we haven't really talked much on the podcast about before. And this is definitely my favorite album of his. I mean, he's got a number of good albums or at least a number of albums that have like multiple good, really solid tracks off of them. I still pick up his stuff like even now when it comes out because it'll hit Spotify or whatever. He yeah. is. Have you ever seen him live? Oh, yeah. He's a fucking he amazing is. performer magical live yeah. like just he's he puts so, on like a bowie level energy kind of show he is like that kind of front man like he should yeah. be so big like he should be the most so, fucking famous so man. charismatic he's so good yeah, yeah hoxley workman i just heard he was on oh you know what it was i was watching the good place this week and he, he there's a couple songs where he popped up and i was like oh, yeah. i was thinking about hoxley workman this week too so i'm glad you brought him up because yeah. i kind of kind of i kind of blanked on him but yeah man everything from like that first one for him and the girls like mm-hmm through lover fighter i was like every just give it all to me i love everything that's happening in here and i still pick up his stuff i think i saw him last in 2008 because between the beautifuls is the last one where i was like oh yeah yeah, i saw that live so but just fantastic stuff yeah yeah like this is a tight little 40 minute 11 track album of just straight up fucking art pop Mm -hmm. Uh, another album that starts off really strong with striptease which i think to this day Maybe the song that he's kind of best known for, at least that probably had the widest reach. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, those two singles, right? Like uh, Striptease and Jealousy of Cigarette were fucking huge yeah. that summer. Yeah. Love both those songs. Striptease, like, God, that's fun to play. Like, live, it, it's such a big fucking song. Just huge sound. I love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then you said Jealousy of Your Cigarette, which has such a. I mean, that talking about the album, but that video has always been like super memorable to memorable to me. It's one of those like single take shots. Like it's all done, like just focused on him. And then the all the sped up. up and yeah, yeah, yeah. Towards it and the, yeah, it's yes. all sped up and everything. Yeah. And also one of my that's also one of my favorite uh, Hoxley Workman songs too. your beauty must be rubbing off is just such a lovely, happy, uplifting, jaunty fucking song. Yeah. You just don't get that often. You know, every so many artists think like everything I have to do needs to be fucking tinged with like angst and pain and suffering and shit like that. And I love that Hoxley Workman sometimes I'm feeling, seen. I'm feeling judged right now. <laughs> and I love, I just love that Hoxley Workman sometimes is just like, no, sometimes you can just do shit that's fucking fun and joyous and fucking happy and just let people fucking enjoy it. Yeah. Oh no. I, yeah, I'm on board for that uh, with Hoxley. He's just, I love the, these albums. I, I love everything he does basically. And I'm hoping he, when he goes on tour, I'll get to see him again because, like, he's somebody that I would like to see live again. I feel like he's yeah, been. I haven't seen him in almost 20 years. I think it was like yeah. 2003 or something like that was when I last saw him. He has the aura of a guy who's going to be very, like, he's going to get better as he ages. Also, you know what I mean? Like, he's going to get more comfortable and like 
yeah more a better stage presence like he's gonna understand it better as he goes along and like oh man i love his stuff like i think he's he's like gord downey levels of fucking crowd like working you know what i mean like he's got that kind of power gord downey if gord downey was like a sexual god because like hoxley uh, workman very much has like that androgynous sexual trust energy. me you are going to trigger somebody out there by saying that because uh, there are some ladies that loved gordy you know what i mean he okay. was but i mean like, just looking liked. at gordy he did not he did not ooze no, I mean, it's not, not, sexuality not me. and lust the way the way that hoxley workman continuously does but either way he just has that energy in terms of like relating to the crowd yeah. so yeah hoxley's the dude that i like that i would go gay for okay i mean like you said <laughs> bowie bowie's were like my kind of line yeah, basically exactly. so yeah and i i'll say it i'll say it Hoxley Workman is the Canadian Bowie. Uh, I think you're crazy, but like, all right, I'll 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 accept you. Who else? Who else do you think can fill that fill Bowie? that niche? Nobody. There's only <laughs> one Bowie, Tim. It doesn't. You can't even do a Canadian version. He's not even the American one. He's from Britain. Like he's English. So like, I don't know. I don't think. I mean, sure, if you want to go that way. <laughs> Or if you, if you want to water it down, he's the closest thing Canada has to a Bowie. Yeah, that'll be. I'll I'll accept that. That's that <laughs> I will accept. I just love Bowie. Like I can't be like I, I like Hoxley Workman too. But like that's a that's a big step you're taking there, my friend. <laughs> a giant step you're taking. Even like right down to the fact that like I mean this album I love sixty percent of this album. There's a couple songs that I'm just like and whatever kind of thing and we've had this we've had this discussion we're the same way with bowie right like yeah. there's every bowie album has like a, a lull kind of thing we're just like yeah i'm not really here for these yeah sometimes the whole fucking b-side of the album is like yeah dog shit so yeah i'm, I'm not yeah. i trust me i i've heard some janky fucking hoxie workman records also that he recorded <laughs> in a barn so i yeah sure i'll accept it i just it's, it's such a different stratosphere to me that i can't even like process what you're talking about anymore because <laughs> bowie's like like Prince tier God level kind of guy. And like, <laughs> I like Hoxley, but like no. I've, I've had a beer with Hoxley workman in the past. Like he's a real person to me. Whereas like Bowie just feels like some kind of deity that I've seen <laughs> on stage fair previously. Enough. So like, to be fair, I've been listening. I downloaded Prince's like discography. Cause it was like, I've never really sat down and appreciated oh, it's very it. inconsistent. Holy shit. There's a lot of schlock and garbage oh, yeah. in, in, oh, yeah. in Prince's stuff. But yeah, it, yeah, it was just so much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's just so much, so prolific. <laughs> yeah, just insanely prolific. That like, yeah, like he. I mean, every album, like, like there's six songs on it. You're like, what the fuck was he thinking? But there's yeah. two songs on it that you're like, holy shit, we're all gonna be listening to have, the day we fucking Prince die. have my babies. <laughs> yeah, right. So like, that's if you're Prince, you need two of those per album, and you put out ten albums, you got a good live show. Yeah. Go on tour, you're done. You're Prince, and Happy. then you put out another thirty albums after that. Apparently. <laughs> Fucking, he gave us bat dance, Tim. What more do you want from the man? <laughs> he went home with Bowie. I assume they left the planet together. That's the only excuse I have for both of them leaving the same year or dying the same year <laughs> is that they went home together. Like their ship came by and they're like, well, I guess we got to go. Quote anyway. unquote ship. Yeah, sure. I mean, we didn't talk about how much they talk about aliens in the I Mother Earth album because that, like, that album is just like, it's all about weed and aliens. That whole album is just weed and aliens. Everyone yeah. must have been having a rough time that year. <laughs> Speaking of bands having a rough time, Constantines are my next one. I don't know that the transition <laughs> wasn't great, but like I want to talk about the Constantines because again, it, this is more like me wanting to be in a sweaty club in like July, <laughs> and I pulled up and I want Tim to listen to this right now. Go into YouTube. This is gonna crash your system probably on me. <laughs> Type in L I Z A V E T A and Constantines and live if it has if you need to do that. 
Lizavelt? Lizaveta. Lizaveta. Okay. Oh, I've and heard the, this before. The live yeah. version? The live version, though. And I want you to hear how fucking disgusting that bass tone is when they start up, and then we'll we'll move on. Because that's what I want to talk about, is oh, that it's band. so fuzzy. Right? Like, how fucking like, sleazy is that fucking bass? Like, that whole riff is just the sleaziest shit. Like of all time. Yeah. Slinky and yeah. That is the sound of a hot summer in Toronto. <laughs> at a concert at Lee's Palace in August. And there's five fucking hundred people in Lee's Palace to see the Constantines. And all you're doing is sweating on each other and breathing in each other's sweat. And it's like the best fucking shit of all time. <laughs> it's also got songs like Soon Enough on it that are just beautiful acoustic ballads and it ranges back and forth between the two. Constantine's I will go to bat for till the day I die. They may be like the fucking second coming of like whatever. They're like the best thing that happened to the indie scene in the early 2000s in Canada. And like this album came out two years after like their first one I think came out the same year as Old World Underground. Like that's when they kind of got their start too. This one came out and like that Lizavetta when that they played that live for the first time and it sounds like that live too right like it's just fucking massive when it starts I was like oh god these guys are like the truth at this point like this is this we start religions around shit like that you know <laughs> so uh, bass tone that sleazy you could start a religion around I'm convinced of it at some yeah, point that's so it's, it's a hell of a fucking bass groove that's for sure yeah so Constantine's I don't know what else to say about them they're from Guelph. So they're like, they don't get much more Canadian than that. They were one of the last bands to play Massey Hall before it closed, like that kind of stuff. So so the footage I sent Tim is taken from another show where they were warming up to a Massey Hall show that is also on YouTube that you can go listen to. Massey Hall and Constantine sounds like a weird mix to me, but listening to them play is just, it sounds like hot downtown Toronto to me, and I <laughs> fucking crave it a little bit. Uh, why did I wear jeans to this concert today? You know, like it's too hot. It's 40 degrees in the shade and I'm going to go sit in the club. Like I'm going to go to Lee's palace and watch Constantine's yeah. and just like lose 10 pounds of like water Sweat. weight. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you know, Oh, I love it. I want, I miss it so fucking much. <laughs> that's what I want. And that's the only reason I brought this album up. Aside from the fact that it's just like top to bottom, a pretty solid album. So like if you go in there and like, so a hotline operator is fantastic. Love and fear. Fantastic. Uh, Lizavetta is maybe my favorite Constantine song. Might be one of my favorite songs of all time. Specifically that version that I just made Tim listen to. <laughs> fantastic shit. It feels that that version in particular feels like, feels like black keys almost. It, it yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It's got like, that super, super bluesy. Yeah. Yeah. Very like, yeah. Scuzzy, scuzzy, scuzzy. I love yeah, it. Yeah. Super overdriven. Yeah, like Queens of the Stone Age, right? Like basically yeah, burnt yeah. out fuzz cabs or like you're playing your guitar through a bass cab that's also half burnt out or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. That kind of fuzziness. I love it. But yeah, everything on that album's fantastic. And it, You're a Conductor is the last song on the album. Or it's not the last, sorry, it's the second to last song on the album. But like the last one's just like a solo little like ukulele jingly thing with the second vocalist. You're a Conductor is kind of like the finale of the album. And it is just like... When you wrote is like a little coda. Yeah, it's just like Chef's Kiss is so fucking good. And it rocks it live, too. Uh, if they ever do a tour again, we're fucking going. I don't I, I don't think I ever did see Con- Constantine's oh live. Oh, my God. They're one of, one of those few, because like I saw I saw like everybody that was Did you see Weaker Thans? No, I never did see Weaker I okay. never got into the Weaker Thans until I moved away from Canada. It was my sister that kind of got me into Weaker Thans, okay. and that, that didn't really happen until... 
after we yeah after came back from working at Disney World, I think. See, I, I caught onto the weaker thens when all that arts and crafts stuff happened, right? Like the right. so like I got into them then um, because I knew who Propagandi were from like my I'm a '90s alt rock kid, so like I knew Prop- yeah, so I knew who John K. Samson was, and then like I knew who the weaker thens were, and I actually I probably like convinced myself to be a weaker thens fan more because of Constantine's than the other like the other way around but i went to the show to see the weaker thens because left and leaving had like left a huge impression on me oh, yeah. Great. and constantine's open for them and i fucking i remember standing after the constantine show and looking at paul and being like i don't even remember who's playing after them like it was like <laughs> a religious conversion happened in that room and uh, like they weren't even playing like this stuff yet. Like this is way, way, way down the line. Like this is still from their first two albums, basically. Uh, they just put out Shine a Light, but like I was gobsmacked. Like, like I'd been slapped in the fucking face by God. I, <laughs> it was so good. It, it was one of those like, why are we here in like July at Lee's Palace? Could you guys not find a fucking outdoor venue to play <laughs> where we're not just gonna sweat on each other for four fucking hours now? They were letting us in outdoor and out. Outdoor venues too, like, in Toronto. Which is nuts. Like you, I've never heard of this, like Lee's Palace, like allowing in and out kind of thing. But yeah. they were like letting us out on the street just to breathe because it was so hot in the venue. So yeah. you have to call fucking ambulances. What's funny? As soon as you mentioned Tournament of Hearts, I was like, "That's a fucking weaker than song." And yeah. then I looked it up, and apparently they used to tour together constantly. That's yeah, they, how I got they toured them. together. And apparently, John K. Sampson told or like encouraged the Constantines to use Tournament of Hearts as their album title knowing that he had a track that was going to come out a couple years later that was like a single off of reunion tour that was called tournament of hearts yeah which is another one of my, which is one of my favorite bigger than yeah. songs yeah it's almost like john k samson like, like self-shouting himself out in the constantine's album like three yeah. years before he wrote his i remember when it's viral which, which marketing one, which one's that what's that what's that one on that's it's that on reunion tour reunion tour yeah. i remember when i hit her reunion tour i heard like the, the tournament of hearts line and i was like those two boys must be working together to write songs. Because like there's actually, if you listen to the Constantines and the Weaker Thans, like lyrics have obviously been worked on together. Like you can hear Yeah, I can see similar that. thoughts and stuff like that coming up back and forth. I know I don't know how lyric writing works. I'm not a songwriter, so you know. <laughs> I play drums, like I don't do the you know the, Well, I mean they you know, like lyricists will sit together and like throw ideas yeah. and themes and shit like that back and forth at each other and be like, Man, you know, this is a really cool idea that I want to explore in a song and shit like that. I would fucking love to see John K. Sampson and like the guys like in Constantine sitting together like riffing on lyrics. Because it's there's two guys who write the songs for the Constantines. Um, it's not just the one guy. And they both sing them. But whew, we should uh, move along because otherwise we'll just sit here and talk about Constantine's weaker than all night. <laughs> well, my last one is a very nice short album, so that'll uh, help us to get to the end more quickly. It is Trouble Chargers Self Equals Title from 1995, which nice. is barely a fucking album. It's an EP, is it not? I'm pretty it's, sure I would, I would state uh, that as an EP. It's hard. I mean, it's it's borderline, right? Because yeah. the, the first releases were seven tracks. And they're all yeah. like max four minutes kind of thing. Yep. I have that fucking CD too. Oh no, so. I, I have the Sonic Onion version too that had the yeah, had the like, had the CD ROM zine on yep. it. Yeah, I have that. It was the first album that I ever had that yeah. had CD ROM content on it. Uh was it? Because I'm Mother Earth had it too. Scenery and Fish had I remember like I don't think I bought. I, well, Scenery and Fish came out after this, right? That, okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah then that then that would be yeah, this, this would is ninety five. Scenery Fish is... Oh, no, you're right. 96. Oh, my God, my brain. Yeah. Uh, too much music. 
Yeah. Because <laughs> I had NC-17. Like the, yeah, yeah. And that follow-up. I remember seeing Red. The original version, like the video of Red is the original version of Red. Like the yeah. NC-17 version. So I remember seeing the video for Red before Red was like on the next album, I guess. Mm-hmm. I was like, where do I get this? And like, there was an independent record store in town. And I went over like, do you know who Treble Charger is? And like, yeah, we got their album here, NC-17. And I was like, okay, cool. I bought it. And then like, this was like a couple weeks later, this came out basically. And I was at Sam the Record Man. And there it was. And I was like, eh, eh, I like that Red Song. So 17 bucks <laughs> or whatever it was back then. Because like, this is 1995. It would have cost a goddamn fortune to buy these CDs. But yeah, man, I, I love the Those first batch of Treble Charger records are special yeah red's a beautiful fucking song too but uh yeah. but not on this album no it's weird because it's this is the one part of that like their discography that it skips because it's on the next one too right like they re-record yeah. it for uh maybe it's me maybe it's me there it is oh i couldn't remember the next album's name <laughs> no well do they well red what? yeah red they red they re-recorded no red red's re-recorded for maybe it's yeah, me yeah, is yeah. what i'm trying to say yeah, like yeah, it's 17 it was that and then this comes out right like this is the that kind of bridges yeah, the gap the in between one yeah and then uh maybe it's me came out and like this for some reason they didn't re-record probably their biggest hit like for this but they waited for their major yeah, label even, debut to get there. yeah so yeah. i i love early trouble charger it's like it's to me it's like canada's response to early 90s grunge like it's very much yeah here's our version version of grunge but we're gonna be like pretty polite and chill about it really i think so okay i always <laughs> see them See, oh, yeah, I guess, see, I always think of Trouble Charger, yeah, they were very, like, the alt-rock band, I guess, when they started, right? Like, they're, and then they go pop-punk later. I would, because I just think of them as the pop-punk band, even though, like, I no, love... they started full-on, full-on grunge. Yeah, their first couple albums were, like, full-on, alt, like, alt-rock. And mm-hmm. then, like, what was it? Why Are Do We like, Bored? Yeah, yeah, well, you look at, you look at shit, like, shit like even Grable or Morale, which are the first yeah. two first two songs on this album, and they follow the grunge formula. It's got like the quiet, loud, quiet fucking form, format and everything. That's the one. Sorry, I was like, I have it playing in the yeah. background, like on my Spotify, <laughs> and I hit Morale, and I'm like, that's not the one I wanted. Even Grable is the one even I wanted. Grable, yeah. yeah, I love that. I love the opening of Even Grable. It's like, yeah. The like crazy call I, response I, drums and like guitar. Yeah, that whiny Bill Priddle tone comes in. I love it. Oh, and that's I, it's such an interesting juxtaposition of his yeah. voice against the really grungy music in the back kind of thing. And and yeah, I mean we'll just get straight to it. Morale and Even Grable are the two songs that kick off the album. They're both fucking great songs. Like they're both ten out of ten songs for me. I yeah. love the really like fuzzy, overdriven guitar sound that they achieve with this. So there are different versions of this album out there. The original version, uh, which is the Sonic Onion release, only had seven tracks, and that's what I consider the album. Like, there there are versions out there. Like, if you were to just probably get this on iTunes or something like that now, you'd probably get a version of the album that has nine tracks, which really? is... The- Spotify has seven. Oh, yeah? So there's, yeah. there's an art... The first... The major label release on RCA has two extra tracks, but they really just feel Ooh. like kind of pasted on. They sound more like neutral milk hotel or elf power than they okay. do like this era of treble charger but yeah like if you listen to the album itself you'll realize that slight which is the actual final track of the original album feels like it's the end of the album that's funny i don't even have the extra tracks on my like mp3 copy of it i, I have the seven because that's probably what i ripped in my collection originally that's, yeah that's what i have physically is the yeah. onion version that has the seven tracks and then the, the screen zine I've probably been carrying this digital file around since like 2000 at this point or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So I should check these and like maybe rip them. <laughs> see, yeah, see if they're still, they're still decent quality. But yeah, the, the, if you're looking at just those first seven tracks, 
it's tight as shit. The whole fucking yeah. album is less than 30 minutes long. Nothing overstays its welcome. It's all just like little short fucking like grungy pop ditties kind of thing. Yeah, it is so borderline an EP. Like, yeah. it's it's kind of weird. But yeah, no, I, Trouble Chargers, a, yeah, they're kind of like, I feel like they're kind of the I'm Mother Earth, you know, like in that same they kind are, of boat. Where well, they the, the weird thing with them is that they just kept reinventing themselves. Like, you, you yeah. were talking about how, like, they were moved on to the the power pop and, and pop punk kind of uh, style later on. So yeah. this, I mean, you know, you could listen to, you could put two different or you know, three or four different fucking treble charger albums in front of somebody and like play them all for someone. And then at the end, when you tried to tell them it was the same artist, they'd be like, nah, you're wrong. Yeah. That's not fucking right. And I don't know how that makes me feel, but like what I always come back to is this is my favorite treble charger sound. Fair. Is, is from yeah. self equals title. No, I know it has, there's a lot of like internal band politics that caused that change. Like they, yeah, Bill Prittle was the main songwriter early on, and then like, what's his name? Greg Norrie. Yeah, Greg Norrie. Greg, Greg Norrie was the pop punk guy that, that yeah uh, that started being like, hey, we should ride this wave now, and Bill and like, Prittle fair was enough. Just kind of like, okay, well, I want to make money, so. Well, he stuck it out for a couple of years. Uh, he left yeah. eventually and started doing his own stuff though, because the, the Prittle concern, concern was yeah. out there for a little while, and he was in Crash Karma, I believe, with Edwin and Jeff Burroughs from the Tea Party during that. Thing. Uh, Mike Turner was he's, in there too. He's in fucking broken social scene. And he was. Yeah. So I, actually, there's a, a lot of talk that he did a lot of work on those records. Uh, not, I feel. I can feel that for sure. Massively it's definitely got a lot of his like shoegaze. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, but yeah, uh, broken social scene definitely has a lot of his shoegaze influence in there for sure. Oh yeah. Bill Prittle might be one of the better songwriters out of this, like out of a group of nineties artists that like we always talk about that kind of go back to that like group of mm-hmm. like edge fest artists for lack of a better term. Prittle was probably like in the top five songwriters out of those guys. Well, and you think too, like, like he's a, a lot, he's a, he did a lot of good work on those first three albums. When we're talking about like our lady peace or I mother earth or shit like that, you know, other bands that were popular or even like big wreck that were popular in like the mid nineties kind of thing. Like those guys were all in their fucking twenties when they first started making music. Yeah. Prittle's fucking born in 63. He was already fucking 30 when Trouble Charger was like doing their like sort of first like broke big. That would explain why when they went pop punk, he had, had no fucking time for it whatsoever. Right. Because he's probably like 35, 36, 37. was just like, I don't want it. Like, yeah. I remember real punk. Fuck. Yeah. This. <laughs> I was around for real punk. And yeah. like I, I do. I have a couple of the like latter day, latter day Trouble Charger tracks where they did go pop punk. And like, it's fine for what it is. Like I, Brand I, New Low, I still stand by Brand New Low. I think that song's fucking yeah. awesome. So, yeah, like I don't. Like I think they, I think they were still good. Like they were still good. I just think that what they were doing is not to my taste. Is kind of where I like we parted paths. Point. Yeah, there comes a point like this. I would say <laughs> they followed the kind of the same trajectory as like the Offspring. Whereas like at, there's a point where you just need to say we're not the same band anymore. Yeah, we, we yeah. just need to rebrand ourselves and totally come out with a new fucking name, and then we'll put music out and like. The Offspring is such a weird one for me because they have one song that I absolutely adore. Remember that song, Gone Away? Oh, yeah. It's, it's Amer- like the most... Americana? Or is that Ixney on the Ombre? I think it's Ixney on the Ombre. Yeah, yeah. But it's like the best like alt-rock Lover's Lament song ever. You know what I mean? Like it, It's so fucking good. Sounds nothing like anything else they ever did, ever. Uh, ever. It sounds like a lot of Smash. No, see, it doesn't sound like Smash to me. It sounds like a real like rock song, and Smash is all just like punk insanity. I love Smash, don't get me yeah. wrong, but like... 
that that song is such like a polished pop song to me. You know what I mean? Like compared to what they usually do. And then they went jokey, right? Like the next thing was like pretty fly for a fucking white guy. And I was like, what? Yeah. Whoa, what? <laughs> we're a novelty band now, guys. Yeah, they became exactly right. Like they went from being like, I thought they were turning the corner to become like a serious rock band. Yeah. And then like they instead decided to turn the corner to become a fucking joke. And I like at that point, I kind of lost like my any interest I had in the offspring when like mm-hmm. pretty fly for a white guy came out. I was like, you guys are fucking dead to me. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm done. Fuck this. You know, like, this is. <laughs> way too far out the pop asshole for me so i don't know but yeah that trouble charger shit i'm listening to it in the background and it sounds real oh i love it so self equals title like said seven tracks does not overstay its welcome every song is good good or better kind of thing it's you know just a great little one to put on if you want to relive the sort of canadian response to what was going on in like the seattle grunge scene in the early 90s a lot of it sounds like weezer to me too like there's so much oh yeah some of this yeah for sure but also just like morale, like it's so droney. Like I'm amazed by how droney this still is. Yeah. Like in terms of just how like how it goes. I don't know. The guitar just kind of lingers. Either way, let's get the fuck out of here. We've been doing this for God <laughs> music episodes, man. We start talking, it's brutal. Yeah. My last one, I just want to shout out Holly McNarlin one more time. So we'll <laughs> home is where my feet are, the 2002 album that I want to talk about a little bit. Uh, this is the one that's got "Do You Get High" and "Beautiful Blue" on it. Also Dallas which may be like my one of my favorite live songs. Holly's one of those people that I've been following around since like 1997. And yes, probably because I thought she was mad cute in the early days. But I mean, like, <laughs> she's still mad cute. But like, that's why I started kind of following her around. But also because like, she just is like the best vocalist that Canada's produced in like ages. She's got so much character to her voice. I can listen to this lady sing all day, every day. And I wish I could. But either way, Home is where my feet are. So this one came out in 2002. Weirdly does have a Matthew Good connection because Matt's former guitar player who hates his fucking guts still to this day for reasons that I fucking probably agree with at this point. Dave Genn appeared and wrote, like co-wrote a couple songs with her and stuff and produced parts of the album. Also a 5440, dude. Yeah, he basically left the Matthew Good band, produced two albums, Pepper Sands, where that album Paul talked about. Pepper oh, Sands. yeah. He produced that, and he did some stuff with these guys, and then he started working on with Fifty Four Forty on what was that album? Because I love that record that he, the first one he did with them. This episode's going to be like two and a half hours long again. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to do a short episode this week, but I was like, wait, no, I'm doing music, and we're talking about shit that I like, like Fifty Four Forty. So here we are. I'm looking up what the goddamn name of that record is. Trusted that I by bought. millions. No. Hold on. I'm, that was that's the fifty four forty album that I have the biggest. I mean, uh, yes, like Trusted by Millions was like their breakout one. Like that was the one that I probably the first one I picked up. Oh yeah, it definitely was the first one I picked up. Yeah. I'm looking at the covers I now. That cover for sure. Yeah. Since when? I think he worked with them on Since When. Like he did, okay. some work. and then like he toured because I remember going to see them at one point because I was I'm a big fifty four forty fan and I'll go see them when they play locally. I remember that album cover too. Yeah, and all of a sudden I'm sitting there staring at their guitar player, and I'm like. It's fucking Dave, right? <laughs> That's Matt's guy. That's isn't that like yeah, I know he quit the band and shit, but I don't know. Like, I think I was with Eric, who like we used to go to all these shows together, like especially Matthew Good stuff related stuff. And I was like, is that fucking Dave Gann? He's like, yep, Dave Gann. So there's Dave Gann in fifty four forty. But yeah, no, he toured with Holly for a little bit too. But she toured through this whole era and like probably did a little fair. I don't even remember anymore what kind of stuff. I remember she was at an edge fest and toured pretty actively through the whole era, but I love this album. All these singles were on the radio. I felt like that whole year, like I felt like I heard beautiful blue every time somebody put on uh, adult contemporary radio around me that year, pretty somehow. And I like, I just, I could listen to her sing that song like forever. I love it. So 
that's like a sappy way to end Canada Day album recommendations <laughs> is me talking about Holly McNarland. This is, this is like this is like the music you put on when you're like real drunk and, and weepy and shit like that. End of the night. This is how yeah. you end the night, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, it's not, but you know what? It's not all that either. Like, do you get high? And like some of the stuff, like Holly's great because she doesn't just do the kind of like standard female vocalist thing where like they don't ever try and like get heavy at all like it's all just ballady stuff or whatever like she'll she comes in and kicks ass man like she's got a full fucking band like she can scream she can out scream any of the guys from this era basically like her voice would cut past everybody she's way more talented vocalist than like greg nori from fucking trouble charger like she could you could put her with thornley and he'd be like oh shit i have problems like that's how <laughs> strong her voice can be when she really cuts loose and yeah man i used to love going to see her live because her voice would fill a room in a way that was like it's almost kind of hard to describe like like otherworldly like it's very straight like rare for a vocalist to be able to just like fill a room you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah or like even like it's pa and all that kind of stuff just but like you just hear them yeah they're just yeah. so good vocal presence holly had that kind of like voice for me and i was i was on board and yes yeah super cute so <laughs> love holly mcnarland and uh, you should all go listen to all of her stuff really but yeah home is where your feet is is the one i'm kind of recommending here i'm still listening to trouble charger in the background it's distracting <laughs> it's good me. shit it's distracting me now all right man we've talked like we've recommended a lot of music tonight we talked about a lot of shit every time we do these music episodes this is the way it goes do you have anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here nope that's it cool so let's do geek cred uh, my geek credit is very much related to our episode this week because as I was listening to all this music, I was reminiscing about concerts and shit that I'd been at. So I sort of rediscovered setlist.fm this week. Mm, my favorite yeah. website. Yeah. <laughs> I, I knew it existed before, but I just hadn't really dove into it fully. That website's like the gospel to me. <laughs> but for anybody that doesn't know what it is, it's a site specifically for like concert goers that lets you... Uh, one of the things it lets you do is like track and log what concerts you've been to. And then mm-hmm. also like if people have entered it, uh, it'll have what the set list was for that show and that kind of thing. Active, active, active fucking user of Setlist FM. Also contributor. I do set yeah. all the time for that. Yeah, man. Cause I'm, I'm at shows constantly. Right. So like, why the fuck not? Yeah. And like, I'm a Pearl Jam guy. Guess who is more? Obs- there used to be, <laughs> this is a total tangent. They're literally in the early days before they were like broadcasting live and you can get like periscopes of the shows basically and watch what was going live. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, you know what I mean? We used to have set list relays for Pearl Jam tours on the message boards and stuff where yeah. like people would be texting out the songs getting played and they, we would post them like on Twitter or some shit like that. And like, we would nice. actively sit there and excitedly be like, holy shit, look what they're playing tonight. Yeah, they haven't played haven't played this in years or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. like it's the nerdiest fucking thing I've ever done for a band, probably. <laughs> but like, yeah, I love that kind of shit. So Setlist FM is like I've yeah. used it forever. I love it. It's a great site. Yeah. So like I started going back and like tracking or like adding like shows that I'd gone to in the past. It can get a little clunky because it does list like if you're going to a show that has an opener or whatever, it lists like each act as a different show. Yeah kind of thing so like if you go to a festival like if you went to like an edge fest or like i went to like i went to a couple edge fests i went to coachella i went to the molson canadian rocks toronto fucking thing in like 2003 and that shows up as like 
20 different entries in my fucking <laughs> list now because there were so many artists playing it then. Yeah. But in general, it's like a really, it's a just a really good way to keep track of the shows that you've been to because at a certain point, fucking starts to become difficult to keep track. I can't, and, there's still, there's shit that I've, I have completely forgotten that I'm, like, you know what I mean? Like, I've gone to so I many shows. I have all my ticket stubs, like, but they're at my parents' house. So, like, I'm gonna, when I get it's a hold of those, anymore. I'm gonna go through and, like, I know. So, when I get a hold of those, I'm gonna go through and add all those to, uh, to this as well. And like, so like, yeah, so like the past probably 10 years, I don't have like a real ticket stub for a real, you know what I mean? Because they're yeah, all been either like paper or, yeah. or like they're, especially now I'll, I'll like, fuck yeah, throw it on my phone. Because the one less thing that yeah. I can fucking forget before I'm going to a concert, yeah, exactly. absolutely goddamn lootly will I throw it on my iPhone. Like, you know, like and I get like, they have commemorative tickets that are in there. Like I still have my tickets from my Seattle trip for Pearl Jam because they had like special digital tickets and stuff and they're mm-hmm. still in my wallet. But like, I mean what the fuck you know i mean at this point that's the kind of shit that i probably toss because <laughs> like tickets <laughs> i had a fishbowl that was like <laughs> just full of stubs this big that was just stubs yeah. and like oh my god there was there must i must have gone to a thousand shows back then. <laughs> just insane that's mikey cred find a fucking live show to go to now i just want to go to live yeah, now that shit's open up i'm looking forward to it i've got a, a movie so one of my friends that i've sort of reconnected with in toronto that i worked with at disney world really i haven't seen her fucking like since for like fucking 15 years we sort of reconnected on facebook over the past like year or so and uh she's apparently like pretty into going to live shows and stuff like that too so she'll be a concert buddy for me too nice you you and her yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, if you don't want to get dragged to a bunch of metal shows, because you know what I like to go see. <laughs> they go, oh, look, Tim, do you want to come see Mastodon and Gojira? <laughs> Your ears are going to bleed. Your virgin <laughs> ears are going to bleed. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm dying for a live show at this point. So, yeah, that's my key credit. If you can get, if you can go, just go watch somebody play something live. You know what I mean? Like, I would love to just, I wish I had better friends so that somebody could, like, sit on a patio and play guitar for me at this point, because I can't <laughs> even do that. I miss it. So, yeah, find some music. Go grab this stuff. Actually, you know what I would recommend? What I made Tim do. Search for that song on YouTube and just soak in that fucking scuzzy bass line. It's <laughs> fucking delicious. I love it so much. Uh, all right, everyone. Thank you for listening. This has been episode 257 of Dance Robot Dance. If you haven't already, you can p- please subscribe. You can do that from any podcasting app via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. If you have any thoughts about anything we talked about this week, or you want to hit us up for... More album recommendations. No, don't do that because I don't. I've already. This is a lot of work. Just recommending five, six, 18. I got How like many albums? 20, I got like a good 20, 25 more I can do. I could sit here all fucking night and recommend <laughs> records for people like Canadian albums. Like I could do. I could go all day. More weaker than do some oh, fucking, yeah. fucking broken social scene, some vice, some. Yeah, man. Yeah. Absolutely. We talked about the Deers. Like, Tokyo Police guys, Club. Those Deers, those Deers albums are like worth it. Death from Above. Summertime, mm-hmm. Death from Above, Grunge Shows. Yeah, love it. And either way, hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast. We're on Twitter at DRD underscore podcast. I am personally on Twitter at M underscore Willette. Tim is on Twitter at DRD underscore Tim. I'm also on Instagram, MT underscore Willette. And that's where I do my art stuff. I'm Mark. I've been here with Tim. Happy Canada Day, folks. Have a wonderful Canada Day. Or don't celebrate it. I don't know what's going on in the world. Some people are saying, was that what they were saying on Twitter this week? Maybe have an introspective Canada Day this year. Maybe listen to that Holly McNarland album and internalize what's going on in the world because it'll make you sad a little bit at the end. And yeah, either way, have an awesome Canada Day, everybody. Have a safe, most importantly, a safe Canada Day. So awesome. All right. Take it easy. (laughs)